Morelia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special time uh, episode of Morelia Python Radio. Uh, tonight, we're talking scrub pythons with Lawrence Kenshington. I, I screwed you still that up. Screwed up. <laughs> we just <laughs> had a conversation. <laughs> Oh, damn it. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, so bad. Well, there we are. Uh, yeah, but anyway, he's from Lark Pythons, and uh, he's a he's uh, over in. I guess we'll find out once he uh, once he gets on here. I don't know if he's muted or not, but let me see. There we go. Um. All right. <laughs> go on. Um, so we're going to be talking about scrub pythons tonight. It's so hard to nail down guests to talk about scrub python. So if I see anybody in the whole world that has a passion for scrub pythons, I try to get them on the show so that we can chat with them. So uh, Lawrence has a, I believe he has a clutch in the incubator waiting to hatch of some nice. Highland type scrubs, oh. um, which, uh, which should be pretty cool. So um, <clears throat> he recently uh, started up a page, uh, which I'm kind of excited about. Uh, because it talks about the, it's not just sharing pictures type of deal. It's more of, uh, you know, uh, discussion and talk and, you know, gets away from just like, oh, look at my pretty Python type of deal, you know? Like like, like our page, the really mm-hmm. good week. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Good plug. Good plug. That's a great plug. <laughs> you and I are going to talk later. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh. Speaking of scrubs, so mm. before we get them on today, I got mm-hmm. some cool stuff uh, come in. Um, so I think back when I first was getting into Morelia, and uh, mm. it was so long ago that scrubs were still in Morelia. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those were the days. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're always kind of still Morelia to me, but whatever. Um, uh but the the pinnacle of any kind of uh, what would you call them amethystina, I guess. Uh, uh, yes. Personally, I I may think they follow the root root of chondros. I just think that the work wasn't done. But I think you'll see northern scrubs as a separate species than southern scrubs, and probably more than likely those highland scrubs may be subspecies, maybe or perhaps even species. Not sure, but. Uh, it seems right. that it would sort of follow suit as the way that chondros are. But but uh, anyway, the highland-type animals with the high orange um, type of deal was something that everybody sought after. Um, so, okay, sorry. <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> that's an old message. I can what? hear him. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I don't know, man. Mm. I'm used to I'm Dude, right, that listen, 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 just because the show is starting three hours earlier doesn't mean you can go <laughs> off the rails and totally yeah. screw up. Get your head in the game. All right. <laughs> but anyway, those Highland scrubs were something that people sought after uh, yes. highly, and it was something that, you know, you couldn't really find them, and they were so hard to track down. Well, Dan had them, I guess it was like maybe seven months ago or so, mm-hmm. and I picked up a mail 
I wasn't sure if I was going to do scrubs again or not, but um, <laughs> he decided to pick up just a random boy to figure well, out if you want to do it again. So I got I mean, a pair of Southerns, <laughs> but I, I, well, for one, I didn't have the cash to pull the trigger on the female. So right. I was like, should I get a female? Should I get a male? Let me just get the male because the male was nicer. And uh, right. I'll just hope that a female comes along and, uh, you know, later on, which was kind of risky if it you is. think about it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it just so happens that I was talking to uh, to this guy, Joe. Uh, what's his last name? Swiatek? Uh, Swiatek, I think. And uh, uh, I picked up a tannin bar from him, but um, mm-hmm. I uh, <laughs> I happened to be talking to him, and he said to me um, that he had this female Highland that he's been raising up for a year. So I was like, okay, let's uh, let's check it out and see what it is. Well, he sent me the picture. I had to jump on it anyway. She came today. Hmm. Along with a uh, cool diamond python I got from uh, Martin Rosemont. Um, you you always have these things where like I I always forget that sometimes you have off on Tuesdays, yeah. and it's like so every Tuesday I'm there I'm at work and you're like look we just came in the mail I'm like God damn you Eric and your <laughs> snake shipping day yeah it's like you know <laughs> I should just like yeah. mute you all Tuesdays so I don't have to sit there and get jealous so <laughs> yeah. So this diamond python that I actually got uh-huh. came from Michael Islam uh, up in Canada. And nice. uh, it's from the same parents that produced that pied-looking diamond. Mm-hmm. So she's a reduced pattern. Uh, beautiful girl. Holy shit. Uh, but real excited to have her in the group um, and have a diamond that has some size to her. She's a little feisty, this one, but uh, I'm digging her. So. Nice. Yeah. What's up with you? Uh, nothing. I mean, I had, uh, had some fun texting some friends back and forth who were wandering around the Daytona show was this weekend. So, uh, I had some non reptile friends who were going haggle and, you know, hassle some of our reptile friends that were there. So that was fun. Um, you know, I had somebody walk up to, uh, Dennis and his Maclots pythons and be like, which one's for Owen? And, uh, you know, I was, I, I'm like, you know, I'm like, and let me know what they say. And, and apparently Dennis is just like, hi, Owen, and it's at home. So good for him and being ready for me to appear at all places. So, yeah, good good job. So nice. other than that, I, I got a bunch of pictures and stuff from Daytona. It looked like it was a pretty good show, pretty good time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I took a bunch of pictures this weekend. Uh Decided to possibly let go of one of my uh, males, uh, carpet pythons. This is actually the granite male IJ that I have been unsuccessful forever to do anything with. So, yeah. <laughs> granite IJ male. I did see that, and I was like, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Hey, hey, the females stay in a balance. I have a granite female and a het granite female babies that I got out of the joint clutch that he and I did. And they both took hoppers uh, two days ago. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, get out of here, you. So it's like he's, I'm getting him out so I can open up a cage because screw it. I'll just get baby IJs. You know, I don't have to do anything. I'm fine with that. (laughs) So I I call this project the success in my mind. So, you know, 
uh, figure it'll free up a cage and uh, kick his butt out and figure some other stuff out. But I still have all the photo stuff set up because uh, there are a few things that might be coming my way uh, snake wise that I want to get some pictures of. And uh, I'm debating the idea of taking everybody who's too big to fit in the photo tent outside and taking some nice pictures of them because uh, it's hard to shove a full grown olive python into a tiny little white box. They don't go willingly. So, um, and so I uh, take they get, pictures of them when they're babies and just yeah, use exactly. the same and then just, just imagine it bigger. Yeah. That's exactly how that's going to go. So, um, yeah, I'll figure that out and a few other stuff. But other than that, dude, it's quiet. And I've been figuring out my pairs for this year. But the problem is, is that the collection is in such a flux right now with mm -hmm. new animals coming in is that like my projects are still being altered. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll do, I'll pull an Eric and I'll sit down and I'll get my entire year scheduled. And then somebody calls me and I'm like, God damn it. And I have to redo everything. <laughs> so it's, it's where we're at right now. So. Um, Very yeah. cool. Um, I did see that. Uh, I don't know. I was going to tag you in it. I was tagged in it, but the uh, albino albino uh, white lip. Oh, the, yeah. They, they they put the baby. Have them up for sale. Yeah. They won't. They didn't put a price. They didn't put a price on anything I saw. Which is I thought bad. you would have PM'd them, man. <laughs> oh well. Why do I want to PM just to get my heart broken? You know, that's <laughs> – listen, when I first started, there was always the here's the price, and then that was fine. It's when the ad said inquire. That's when you knew you were screwed, and it was way out of your <laughs> price range, okay? So, like, I mean, like, people would even put, like, JAG, like, $1,300, $1,400, or two k or something like that. The second somebody put inquire – you knew that that animal is way more than $2,000 because people will put $2,000 on ads. They put inquire when it's like $6,000 and you're like, eh, no, no, done. So no, I stick by the same rules that I had my entire reptile career. If you don't put the price on the ad, I know it's way too rich for my blood. Always. <laughs> I'll be patient. I'll watch. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Now, if okay. you love me, you'll buy me a present and that can be a white lip. So, <laughs> uh, awesome. Um, I was gonna ask. If... I was gonna say one more thing is that did you see yeah. on the pick of the week right now? Like yeah. it, I think they posted up a little bit ago. I liked it. There is a jungle carpet python baby. I think you put. I think you liked it too. Oh yeah, just yeah. now. It's like a yeah. red looking thing. Yeah. Pretty sweet. That looking thing. Yeah, it is pretty sweet. And you know what that reminds me of? What? That Will Bird animal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that is what it looked like when I saw it at Hamburg. And then Will Bird bought it. Now, it did grow up to be yellow and black. But then other babies from that clutch or from that pairing, from that lineage, were paired with each other. And then it kind of had a super form or whatever that was never really ever proven out so i'm kind of hoping that with this little guy it's done the like you know they move through the most first off i would love to know what it is if it's pure jungle if it's a mix if it's you know this that and the other thing and i would also love to see that if it is brought through the right progressions to prove out the morph because that would be really cool to have another jungle combination stuff red jungles 
Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's it's not or it would out be something of the, different. I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility since uh you know, um they have uh red coastal, right? Well think about it this way. What if it is like uh what if it is car- the caramel gene popping up in a jungle background? You know, it's just that the ye- the yellow of the jungle messes with the colors. You know, who yeah, knows? could be. Yeah. yeah, and that super form, you might be playing with something that could have very good potential, but you know you got to go through the motions of proving out the morph. You can't just slap a sticker on it and expect people to give you like sixty five hundred dollars. So you know it's, but there's lots of potential there, and I would love to see that thing progress. So yeah, very cool. Um, <clears throat> I will do a little quick little update real quick. Uh, there was go for a meeting. It. For the Southern Carpet Fest, or I should say Southeast Carpet Fest. Excuse me, Bill. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, there, there are, <laughs> there are. That's two different carpet fests. All right. Yeah. Excuse so me. the Southeast Carpet Fest. Uh, yeah. They did. They had a meeting down in Daytona, and um, uh-huh. Ian uh, kind of got the ball rolling. And I think the date is, uh, and this is just up in the air, so uh, I'm not. Um, February 10th. So you might be going, uh, you might be going to that solo because like I told Ian, the only problem with that for me is, is that that's right when my new store opens up. Right. And, uh, it's, it probably won't be, uh, pretty easy for me to leave. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Where's Eric? It's like they're trying to open up. Yeah. That, that, I can see that being a problem. Um, it all hinges on, when bonuses are paid out. Uh, now, bonuses are paid out at my job in February. If they're paid out before the 10th, I probably could. Uh, if it's paid out after the 10th, I have to see how finances are going to go with that. So uh, I'm up in the air as well. Um, so we will send, uh, let's just make Rob go. I mean, he's the <laughs> adjunct host. So we'll make Rob do something. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll send Robert Rob and Chris. There you go. Uh, there we go. The two Peace of them. Squad, go. It's like, yeah, we can. <laughs> you represent us when we can. You represent no. us. I call Rob. You have to be Crystal Lemmy. So, which just makes well, me funnier. Well, I can't. Funnier. That screws everything no, it's, up. It, no, it's Rob better that way. It's oh, okay. better that way. <laughs> it's right, funnier. If, Fair if, enough. It's funnier if Crystal Lemmy's walking around with a name tag that says, Hi, I'm Eric Burke. It makes it right. even better. So... <laughs> Right. All right. Well, there's another thing in the news, but we won't touch on that as, as of yet. Uh, we'll leave no. that for another day. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to save that for an episode where it's just you and me and we can really kind of kind of get into it. Yeah. So real quick though, uh, yeah. Rob, Rob had called me right before the show cause he didn't realize that the show was starting early. That's and, why uh, you were late. All right. He got me all fired up. <laughs> And now oh, crap. I have nowhere to release that. <laughs> so, no wonder I'm off my game a little bit. Now I'm back in the back in this back in yeah, the chair. Do, so. do you want to just call like tonight after the show? Do you want to just call my cell phone and leave a voicemail? I'll let you just yell for an hour. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, that's fine. Uh, you know. You know but, all right, let's let's get this going. Lawrence, welcome to the hey, show. Hey guys, Sorry how for, is it? Uh, we're, we're doing, doing all right. Great. So where exactly are you from? 
Yeah, let's figure <laughs> that out. <laughs> Long story short, from England, uh, moved over to the west coast of Ireland when I was about seven and basically stayed there ever since. Went to college in Dublin and moved back to do a photography course because, unfortunately, finding the job over here is a little bit difficult at the moment. <laughs> All right. So you're you're currently in Ireland now. You're living in Ireland. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Living in Ireland full time. Cool. So why don't we just kind of get right to it and tell us how you got your start in reptiles? Well, long story. I've I've always had like long-standing passion passion for animals and nature, especially as a kid. Like whenever we went to the zoo, always go to the reptile house first. Uh, always wanted to go to like pet stores or whatever instead of going to the cinema or whatever as a kid. Um, always wanted to keep snakes, but just over in England was too young to really get into it. Um, but met a friend when I was in college studying biology and she brought me to a uh, reptile shop that's actually in Dublin that's run by a really experienced guy, Ben Lyons. Um, so got my first snake in, what was it? July 2014, when I was 20, uh, just a normal royal python, ball python. <laughs> then six months later, I managed to get a retic, uh, two Madagascan ground boas, a jumeral boa, and a Jayapura green tree python as well. Gee. All right. Well, that was a quick learning curve. All right. Um, yeah, so, so yeah. Two, two, feet, two feet in the deep end, quick learning curve. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, it's, it's, I was pretty much the same way, I think, uh, except I never went. I've never owned a retic. It's weird. Um, so what led you to Scrubs? Was it like you saw one at a show or was it a long distance kind of admiring for a while? What, what brought you to them? Uh, basically just like as a break from college work and writing a dissertation in my final or in third year and when we did a mapping project and that, I used to watch Austin Stevens and other different <laughs> wildlife documentaries. Right. So just, 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 just something to pass the time. So like saw his episode on the uh, Australian scrub pythons and just like something about the look of them, the head shape, the build, a bit of their attitude because I got the retic as a sort of project to challenge me to help calm it down because it was a bit of a nasty one in the shop mm -hmm. uh, but he calmed down really quickly and so like wanted to wanted to find something a bit more challenging so of course like started researching scrub pythons found out that well of course you can't get king horn eye over in mm -hmm. europe unfortunately uh, but then found out found out about the indonesian scrubs and was looking on one of the forum pages and found a guy in the uk who just uh read them sarong barnets which were from parents that were produced by frank schofield oh nice so uh then just got into looking at different lo localities and networking with people who had uh, big collections um jim weatherall over at Ouroboros, uh herbs in the uk and uh, just got to know him as he was selling up and then bought sort of several animals from him, bought the uh, first four octavils I got from him, all adults, um, bought four Timor pythons from him as well, um, a Marauke and then a patternless Xanthic uh, as well. So sort of just, he had some really, really top shelf stuff and just decided like, there's sort of one one time to buy this stuff, especially the Timors, which I've been looking for for a year. 
Um, yeah. So just sort of jumped at that and then just started networking with other guys in Europe who had them. And eventually they sort of decided that they were getting out of scrubs and I just jumped on them when I could and anything that came up in the importers that looked a bit unusual, I just dived straight for. So you snacked up every single scrub that was coming through the UK. All right, that's a good way to build yeah, a collection. It's, it's, yeah. Well, coming coming through the UK and uh, and Europe because yeah. unfortunately there's no real no real importers in the UK for scrub pythons. A couple of shops get them in, but most of the time looking at the German importers really. So. All right. So like, you obviously you have them shipped to you. I mean, are you, or are you taking these long drives out of England into you know? We've, yeah, we've done we've done some sort of like sixteen hundred mile round eighteen hundred mile round trips. Like that's that was one because it's like it's whatever two hundred miles across Ireland, then a ferry from Dublin to Liverpool, and then another couple of hundred miles down to the UK to get to where the Oxervilles were, and back up and. <laughs> Yeah, so it's sort of, uh, but then like some of the ones we get from the German guys, we just get them couriered to uh, one of the shows in England, and mm-hmm. we just pick them up. We just pick them up there. So, but Jeez. yeah, we've done 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 some pretty done some pretty insane insane road trips with my dad. Like, and he he keeps as well. I actually bought him his first snake, uh, Annery Type Two Boa, um, with some money that I made from an internship, and just one of my friends had it for sale. Like the look of it bought it then thought right well i'm not happy keeping it just like in a small tub in my room so what's the best way of doing it? keeping them in my room in college so i thought what's the best way of getting around this so decided it would be a father's day present for him <laughs> so, uh, got him got him into it and then and then we sort of went in on the joint venture and just slowly built up uh built up our collection of sort of mainly indo and australian pythons and then he sort of has a more eclectic taste and branched out into a couple of the Calubras as well. So what what you're suggesting is that I should give my father a scrub python for Father's Day and then he'll <laughs> want to get involved with my snakes with me? So, <laughs> it, 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 it can't hurt to try. It can't hurt? It. All right. Well, I'll give it a shot. So look out, Jim. All right. So why don't you give us kind of an overview of your collection? Is it just scrubs? Is there other pythons? And then kind of what what's your dad working with too because he's kind of doing some colubrid stuff too yeah so like at, at present we've got 84 84 snakes in the collection so there's about 30 30 odd scrub pythons at the minute um then a whole bunch of uh carpet pythons which are sort of my dad's main focus um mm-hmm. a trio of jayapura green trees which we sort of share between us uh diamond pythons uh, adult pair he's just bought that were proven i think they were the second ones to be bred in the uk by uh, nick housen so we bought his adult pair after we'd bought a couple of the juveniles from that clutch and the adult pair came up and just thought well we might as well we might as well get them they're ready to breed uh so we got those um we got australian water pythons the fog dam locality uh the timor pythons uh, Womers, Spotteds, uh, Stimpsons, uh, five, yeah, five Madagascan ground boas at the minute. Um, emerald tree boa, just the one. Uh, Jumerals, we got dad's dad got into the uh, Boigas, so we've got a pair of uh, mangroves and 
we've got a we've got a male cyania at the minute and then we've got a proven female coming from ham in about two weeks um Jeez. and yeah and so and that dad's got the dad got the goniosoma jansenai as well we found someone who bred them in um in the uk and then dad bought another pair of uh pituophis uh catanifer pumilus the the santa cruz island ones yeah um so so he's got those and he just got a clutch from them this year as well uh and that's that's basically that's basically the collection we've got seven more scrubs coming in september as well um and i think and then if if i'm lucky and all the eggs hatch and the 12 eggs eggs hatch i'll be at 52 scrubs jesus well wow. it, it sounds like so, your collection is one of those bite you in the face collections no matter what the cages so yeah <laughs> The, the carpet pythons are all are all fairly relaxed. Uh, the Rockhamptons that Dad has are probably about the the most sort of narky ones out of all of the carpets. Jeez, that's awesome though. Wow. So, <clears throat> what do you have uh, coming scrub wise uh, in the upcoming uh, near future? Got a pair. Got a pair of uh, arrows that are sort of uh, juvenile sized. Um, so they go with the pair of arrows that sub-adults that have already got so just wanted to because you don't see the arrows come around that often so when I had the opportunity to further the breeding group and get a nice diverse unrelated group of four together um, decided to go for those uh, taking a bit of a gamble and getting four uh, baby or four yearling Oxville scrub or Highland scrub pythons including one which is the high orange which is a female which I've been looking for for about two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what, what else is there? There's a, uh, oh yeah, there's the patternless Xanthic uh, female to Nimbar as well, which is also for, to just to complete a pair because I have a single male that I bought from a gym way back at the beginning. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, <clears throat> that sounds like a pretty awesome group. Um <laughs> So I don't. So let's let's get into like how you keep your scrubs. Um, I know your setups are pretty elaborate. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, uh, you know your caging and and what your what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, and then maybe we'll get into temperature and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, like, I suppose my approach to keeping them is to keep things as natural as I possibly can, both for wild caught and captive bred animals alike. So, giving them a variety of elevated perches, which are all logs that we harvest from a friend's wood when he chops down some trees, uh, ledges as well that we just put in a sort of small direct basking spot for a couple of hours in the day sort of fake plants just to add a bit of little bit of cover and make them a little bit more aesthetically pleasing and then hides we either just use a large piece of the cork bark <clears throat> sorry a large piece of cork bark or plastic hides and then just large water bowls um so it's just and basically it's the same general setup we've got a red basking bulb or a daylight basking bulb at one end a radiant heat panel just to keep the nighttime temperatures up because in winter it can get fairly cold here. Um, 
and then just let the cool end. It's just left to be cool. We have all the temperatures set for the set for the one heat side, so drop them down to they get down to 24 degrees Celsius. So I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit. Um, probably should have changed that before before I uh, before I before I uh, started <laughs> no. looking started talking. But uh, no worries. Yeah, so I'll, that's, I'll, I'll look it up real quick. I I got a thing here because. Uh, hold on one sec. Uh, so you said 34. 20, 24 That's for nine, the nighttime temp. Yeah, 24 oh, for 24. the nighttime temperatures. Yeah. So 75.2. So. Yeah. So that's that's the sort of what we yeah. So that's what we sort of keep the map between for sort of the uh, for sort of spring, summer, and autumn. That's where we keep the map generally, and then in winter we do the cooling cycle but we can we can talk about that later when it comes to the breeding um and yeah just for just to make them feel more secure like a larger especially for the wild caught animals like they seem to be quite active and they do use whatever you give them uh, they'll go over they'll bask for three or four hours and the basking spots are about 31 uh, uh, like measured with a temp gun uh, measured at about uh, 30 to 32 depending on the time of year and summer they get a little bit hotter uh, and then they go up and bask and then as soon as they've got to whatever they feel is the optimum heat is they'll just move down to the cool end or move down to the hide or if it's some of the males just like they'll spend a portion of the day just cruising around do you find that they bask at certain times of the day or you know as soon as that light kicks on do they are they over there um under that light, yeah. soaking up. Yeah. Well, because we keep we keep all of ours with uh with UV with UV light as well, and try and mimic the sort of daylight cycle as mm-hmm. well. And we notice that like most of the time during during the night they'll either be active or down to sort of the colder part or the hide. And then as soon as sort of the daylight that we have the daylight bulbs set to come on two hours before the heat bulbs. So as soon as the daylight comes, they'll start to move around and they'll start moving up towards the perch. And they seem to they seem to have either learned when that bulb comes on because they're usually up there in time for it to come on or move up slowly after it's on. <clears throat> I'm curious with the UV bulbs, do you notice a difference in uh, color or um, I, I health? Think, or- I think. Uh, I think that like just because they're going to get UV in the wild, I think it's I think it's beneficial. I haven't really kept any any without UV, so as far as the color is concerned, I can't I can't say on that part. But they mm-hmm. definitely do seem to seem to come out. And I know the um, the carpet pythons do this do where they sort of spread their body to absorb the like UV rays and that. And I've noticed mm-hmm. some of the scrubs do do that to an extent as well. Uh, I, ju- I just feel it's more beneficial, um, and also it just it just it, mimic- it mimics the daylight cycles. It's more natural for them, and the cages the way we have them is a sort of all sort of tried to do as much as we can is display display enclosures. So when we go down, it's like they're also pleasing to the eye as well as good for the animals. So it's sort of a sort of a win-win for both of us. Now, do you find with scrubs or with any of your scrubs, <clears throat> because I know David Means, uh, he used to have this issue where he actually went away from using glass fronts and used like, um, it's almost like that pegboard type of. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. 
type of thing? Do you find that um, they have any issues as far as uh, being shy or being stressed because uh, you can see them? Uh, to be honest, no. I mean, the the room that we have them in, uh, we've got sort of one dedicated scrub room, scrub room, and then we've got the uh, the four oxbows are actually in the in my bedroom. Uh, just okay. Had a spare wall could put had, had a spare wall could put them there, um, and but I don't find I don't find them to be to be particularly stressed. Um, it's not exactly a high traffic room that they're in. Uh, even the ones that sort of would get walk past more, they don't seem to be stressed. And if we do notice that one is starting to strike the glass, we've started just using uh, buying the cheap. Uh, curtain racks that you can get just the little plastic ones and just making just like putting a <clears throat> putting a curtain just up in front of the viv that we can just slide across and then it sort of it keeps them calm uh and they can't see out they can still see a bit of movement uh around the side but with one which did have a habit of no matter what we did if we walked past it would just come out and try and strike the glass we just put the curtain over it and that's basically stopped it. And even if we open the curtain now, he's, he's more calm. He does, he, he stays in the water. Well, he'll come forward and sort of like see what you're doing and have a look and like just check and see if he's going to get fed or not. But apart from that, he's, he's calmed down a lot. So that's, that's just what, what we use. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we don't have very many scrubs that actually would strike at the glass itself. Um, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll come forward and just nose against it being inquisitive, but not any sort of high level aggression really. Yeah. I, I, I shared, um, your the picture of your setups from your page, uh, your Facebook page, Lark Pythons, um, over on the Morelia Python radio Facebook group. Um, but, uh, do you think I'm looking at your setups and I'm thinking maybe because you have like, you have different type of foliage or fake foliage or whatever, just dangling. Maybe that's giving them some cover to make them feel, man, your setups are freaking crazy, man. Yeah. They're gorgeous. <laughs> they're <really> nice. <laughs> Holy shit. It's a, um, lot, a lot of places to hide or give the perception of hiding. So I guess it would make them feel better. Like yeah, I've we, seen worse. I've seen worse enclo- worse exhibits in clo- enclosures in a zoo. So there you go. <laughs> uh, well, when we, when we as, as we build all our own enclosures, so yeah. I mean, as as we built them and we've watched the animals and seen their behaviour, we've just added improvements like adding the shelf and then making the shelf on the cooler side only to be sort of maybe six to eight inches off the floor, so it acts as a hide for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just we make sure that when when we put the group, the fake plants in that it dangles over down across the entrance and it dangles over the shelf itself. And I found that, and one of my friends Matthew also found that the scrubs tend to sort of they don't just sit on the greenery; they'll pick their way between it and yeah. coil up behind it. So yeah, it does basically. There, it's it's giving the illusion of cover, and they seem they seem to like it. Um, and interestingly, with most of my scrubs, I've put, ended up putting hides in and have, and I've had to take them out because they just don't use them at all. Either mm. when they're in sheds, they just go down to the cool shelf 
coil off on top of it or underneath it um, or in the water bowl. And the, the hides just became basically redundant. None of them used them. So I just started taking them out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hats off to you, man. They're, they're really, uh, really some nice setups that you got going yeah. on. So um, <clears throat> I think, well, maybe we'll jump into this before we hit feeding, but like when you're getting in uh, a scrub, um, are you, you're not putting them straight into this type of setup. Is there some kind of acclimation period where you're putting them in a quarantine or like, how yeah, do you well, go with that? Uh, yeah, usually when, when we get and when we get new snakes in, they'll go for probably a minimum of a two month period where we do just keep them in large, large tubs where it's just sort of like they're, they're kept in a separate room in large tubs and they've got separate feeding tongs, separate gloves uh, than the rest of the collection. So, and we only work with them on one, on one particular day. So there isn't any risk of cross contamination and water bowls are always like disinfectant put back right into the same, same tub or enclosure that they came out of. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we just, then we just introduce them into straight into uh, what I'd, what I would deem an appropriately sized viv for each animal. Uh, and without fail, all of them have fed no problem. Some, some of the wild caught ones came in drop feeding and either just quickly with, uh, they, some of them came in only drop fading on chicks or quail. And so just left, left the prey in there with them slowly then just like scented rats with them, got them into onto rats. Some of them you just have to put a chicken first and a rat in next to it and they'll just eat the chick first, then go to the rat. It must it must but if you put the rat in on its own, they'll leave it. They'll just ignore it completely. Uh, and then within within sort of four or five months they'll get to uh they'll get to the point where they're striking readily on on rodent prey. Okay. Um, so let me ask you this question. Do you have like, so if you're getting wild caught animals, do you follow any type of, um, acclimation as far as, um, treating them for internal parasites or anything like that? Uh, any of the wild caught ones, uh, they've usually been treated at the importers that get them. Uh, the two importers I use always have treated their animals before they sell them. Uh, mm-hmm. I do. I do have a habit of just running a fecal test on any of the new wildcat ones that have come in, just to double check, just in case something was missed. Uh, yeah. Just, just as a sort of an extra precaution. An extra precaution. So. Okay. Um, anything else? Anything else you do as far as uh, acclimating the uh, a wild caught or even captive hatched? I guess for that matter. Um. Not not particularly really. They all seem to they all seem to settle into the enclosures the enclosures fairly quickly. When I first got when I got my first one I put it into it was a sort of six month old sarong, about uh, I don't know, foot and a half, two foot and put it straight into a three foot long Exoterra uh with perches and greenery and to begin with, it started off just curling up on top of the greenery, keeping as hidden as it could, but would always strike feeds no matter what. And then slowly it became 
more brave and would venture out and sit directly under the basking spot and then eventually it'd start utilizing the whole the whole enclosure uh so for for habituating them nothing nothing really that special just putting them in a, a large large viv with plenty of cover sort of mimicking where they've come from so they're not sort of like freaked out by just being just there being nothing around them Mm. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, so a big thing that, that people talk about with scrubs is feeding, uh, whether it be overfeeding or, <laughs> yeah. uh, so what's your approach? Uh, my approach is it's, it's quite laid back, uh, to be honest. I don't really have set feeding regimes for any of the snakes we have. Um, but like, of course I keep feeding and shedding records and everything. Uh, we sort of base the feeding on the species, so the more active colubrids in that will get fed more often than the pythons that sort of as, uh, ambush hunters. And sometimes they'll go sort of two, three weeks, depending on size. Sometimes they'll have two small meals fairly close by. Other times, if they get a large meal, they'll be left for an extra week or two. Um, so, I mean... The, uh, if one, and, I, and I also go by eye quite a lot of the time. Um, so, like, after last season, I tried to breed the, um, the uh, azantic tanimbals I had. Um, but I think the female was a little bit small for it. Uh, they did lock up, but nothing came of it. But the male, after the cooling period, had, you, I could see down towards his tail, he'd lost some of, some of his conditions. So I fed him a bit more often. But mm-hmm. not sort of like stuffing food, stuffing food down in. Uh, I haven't really worked with sort of fresh, fresh hatchlings. So the youngest ones I've worked with were about three, six months old when I got them as uh, farm bred animals. And I fed them about every seven to 10 days until they were a year old, then sort of cut it back to 10 to 14. Um, I mean, sort of a general guide I've sort of come up with for scrubs is sort of anything under a year old is fed seven to ten days then once they're over a year and say up to three four feet 14 to 21 days then four to six foot four weeks eight to ten foot six to eight weeks and everything over anything over 12 12 foot here is on a sort of eight week minimum feed mm-hmm. um so sort of a, a sort of rough rule of thumb i i think um is for every foot the scrub is uh that's how many weeks you can leave it between feeds without worrying about underfeeding it or overfeeding it and i also just sort of i'd I'd feed relatively it's a bit smaller than smaller than what people would say feed a retic or a burmese of a similar size i just sort of just so they get a small bulge in them but then occasionally i'll feed them something larger and Mm -hmm. definitely I, I do believe that feeding a sort of a variety of prey types is, is beneficial, just like each prey type is going to have sort of different macronutrients and micronutrients and vitamins and minerals and stuff. So all of ours will get sort of changed around quails, chicks, hamsters, uh, mice, guinea pigs, uh, the African softbird rats, the multi-mammoths, uh, gerbils, or then rabbits if, rabbits if they're big enough. Okay. 
Wow. So that's, 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 that's sort of, that's, that's my take on it. But like, I've, I've only been keeping, keeping scrubs now for sort of two and a half years, but that's just sort of from talking to experienced people, um, watching like Dan Malaria's videos and stuff. I've just sort of, and, and then say, and talking to the breeder who I got my first one from, who did his very sporadically, uh, I just sort of came, I just sort of came up with that rough guide and, and it seems to be, it seems to be, it seems to be working. They're all growing well, and I'm not particularly fussed about how long they take to get to a breeding size. So if they take four years, if they take five years, and I mean for scrubs, I my personal feeling is like five years old is the sort of minimum that they should be bred. I know, I know that they can probably be bred earlier, but. Uh, for us, we always err on the side of caution. So if you think, okay, the fem that female's ready for this year, we'll leave her another year just to give her that extra bit of maturity, the extra bit of size, and we'll also all of our animals will will do a drop in a drop in temperature and a break in feeding over the winter. Um, and I can, I can talk about that later in the breeding thing, go into that in a bit more detail because it varies right. depending on whether it's a uh, juvenile or a sub-adult or an adult animal depends on just how long or how low I drop them. So gotcha. with the clutch coming, this is going to be your first interactions with fresh baby neonate scrubs. Yeah, it'll be, well, it'll be, it'll be basically my first interaction with, uh, with any sort of freshly hatched uh, snakes. Cause it is actually my, my first clutch. Oh anyway. God. So, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> No, no pressure. Don't get nervous. So, yeah. God, that's awesome, though. That's a killer starting clutch. I think my first clutch was, like, king snakes. So, obviously, you're off to the races. Jesus. <laughs> um, just real quick, while I was over on your Facebook page, which, by the way, I'll just mention it again, Lark Pythons, um, I, I was looking for the picture of your setup and I came across this post that you, I guess you posted the other day, but it was um, pretty, pretty interesting. And uh, I was curious if you could just kind of tell us the story, but where you're feeding the scrub from one side of the cage as opposed to handling it from the other. Oh yeah. Uh, that was, um, it was basically, it was the first, it was the third scrub that I'd bought and it was a sub-adult Marauke and it was meant to be, like top 5% of the nastiest scrubs that this guy works with. So it's sort of in preparation for that, I sort of decided, well, what's, what's something I can sort of make it safer for both uh, the animal and myself. So I'd, I'd read and I'd heard from people who'd worked with them, how intelligent they are. So I decided to try having a feeding side to the Viv and a handling and cleaning side. So every time I fed her, I fed her from the right-hand side door, and any time I went in to handle her, it was for or to clean or to remove the water bowl, it was from the left-hand left side. And within sort of three to four repetitions, she, she'd learned that the right-hand side of the viv was where food came. And if she was down at the cold side and I had fr uh, frosting in the room, without fail she'd always move up and and come towards that door without without fail um and i never had a strike from her whenever i went in the left hand side and i could reach in bare hands and just slowly coax her off the branch and there was never any aggression never any hissing 
Um, so it was, uh, I, I let the habit slide eventually just because college and that, I just sort of started not handling them as much. Um, and now I very rarely handle the scrubs unless um, it's sort of every two to three feeds, I'll uh, feed them, get them into a tub while they're wrapped around a rat, let them digest for two days in the tub, and I'll do a good clean of the cage uh, make sure everything's everything's okay in there. If there's any maintenance, like she's dislodged it, or any of them have dislodged greenery or anything like that, or I want to add another log or a hide or whatever, um, I'll I'll do that while they're in the tub, and then I'll now just take them out after they've digested, give them sort of five ten minutes gentle handling, check them over, check their con overall condition, and then just let them back in. So I let that habit slide of having having a feeding side and a handling side, but I just found as an experiment it was it was really interesting for me as as such a new keeper to them. I'd only been keeping them sort of three six months at that stage, and, right. and just to just to see just to experience how intelligent they are for myself and how quickly they can learn was it, it was it was pretty it was pretty cool because I'd studied biology and behavior in that in college so. It was interesting to actually witness that firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> um, anything else you do as far as uh, keeping your scrubs? And also, I know you keep a variety of species of scrubs. You have tannin bars and you have, you know, barnacks, obviously. But um, do you do you change anything from species to species or, say, northern scrubs to southern scrubs, anything like that, anything you vary? Uh, the northern scrubs and the southern scrubs, when I'm cooling them down over winter, I wouldn't drop them down as low as the highland scrubs, uh, just because sort of where the highland scrubs come from, sort of in the foothills, uh, just before you get to the central highland chain, uh, I'd imagine that would get slightly colder because of the higher elevation. So let the highlands drop down one to two degrees Celsius more than the barnecks or the southerns that I'd have. Uh, but the other species, the, the tanimbas, I have a habit of probably, they seem to quite like um, a more humid environment, so I spray them a little bit more. And the just for the class the lepis, um, for the Moluccan, I, I noticed that when the hotspot would get to approaching 29 30 31 she especially on the hot on the some of the few sunny days that we have here in ireland over the summer yeah. <laughs> um, she's she she would stay to the water bowl or to the coolest end she could so i've altered that to make the can the light canopy slightly higher so it stays to about 28 29 and she's resumed a more natural behavior of basking and then staying down on the cool side so it's just sort of like feeling out the little little nuances between between each of the species just sort of observe their behaviors listen to what other more educated more experienced guys tell you um just sort of like take their advice on board and then do your own research and then watch your animals and apply all of that together to come up with what works for you as a keeper because there, there's more than one way to skin a cat there's more than one way to keep snakes successfully 
Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just it's just all down to what works for for you as an individual. Um, I get lots of people sort of asking, how do I remove the scrubs in my setups without getting constantly nailed and torn to pieces? Um, and it's all sort of I either use I, I use gloves for some of the bigger ones just because something the size of my biggest one beast 15 foot in the enclosure he's in he can he can stand his ground most of, he, he stands his ground a little bit and then he'll decide to run away and once I either get them moving by either gently coaxing them with a hook or just gently touching them with a glove hand so they can't see the heat the heat signature from my hand so they don't think it's prey and just mm-hmm. get them moving slowly and once their front end starts to move i sort of just slide my hand a sort of a foot two foot down from the neck let them hook their head over one branch just very very partly and then just gently sort of pull the rest of the body towards me so they feel like they're moving over something but you're just you're just gently pulling their tail off the branch as they're trying to move forward and as they're trying to get their head further over that branch. And then I just gently lift the head off. Once I've got control of the tail, I just gently lift the sort of let the head, lift the head off the, off the perch and then just take them out. And once they're out, I'd say 95% of my scrubs are perfectly easily handleable for, for anybody. Um, they're, most of them are quite calm. They just they sort of tend to either want to go straight up or just like investigate anything new that's around them. But only sort of the very, the very young ones I've had when I've, when I've handled them to check on them have just turned around and sort of just look at your hand for a second and then decide, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to bite that. Take a shot at it. Yeah. Yeah, and they they don't just tend to sort of like just do a little love tap. It's more of a I'm gonna bite and then push in a little bit just to just to make it, make sure you know I'm annoyed at you. Oh, oh nice, that's <laughs> nice of them. That's really nice. Yeah. <sighs> very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know this wasn't on the thing, but I was just curious if you could talk uh, maybe a little bit about your well. The one that I just shared over in the thing was um uh the dark biak that you're that you have. What's the what's the story with that one? Uh that that that's an interesting story. When I was first getting into scrub pythons and uh the guy in the local reptile shop knew one of the, the importer Ryan Old Malg that had this animal and I'd looked at it and he'd talked to me about scrub pythons as he was like, Make sure you know what you're getting into and if you're going to get a wild-caught animal, chances are it's going to be a little bit more aggressive than a captive-bred animal. Uh, so I decided, like, and I saw this beautiful, like, almost uh, almost black black scrub python. It looked a little bit ropey. It was in its, shed, in its import shed. Um, and I decided to leave it. And then time went by, still saw it was there for sale, and eventually point where I I'd seen a couple of buyacks that had been posted and I was like right uh, I'm gonna see if the if the importer still has them and over a year and a half later this this incredible unique animal was was just sitting still at the importers um, and fair play to the importer he'd he'd only sell it as a pair because 
this was the only pair of biacs he'd got in in five or ten years, and he said, I'm only going to sell it as a pair to someone who wants to try and breed it. So I said, well, that's, that's my goal, uh, and, and just ended up buying the pair of them and sort of talked to, talked to David Means and talked to uh, David, uh, the Barkers about it because we were questioning whether, is it, is it a melanistic one? Is it an example of a melanistic scrub? Because there's, I, I think when I was looking at it, I saw a few pictures online of some melanistic scrubs that had been found. And we sort of couldn't, couldn't really nail down for definite if it is melanistic or not. I guess hopefully time will tell uh, if I manage to breed from her and see what the offspring come out like. So at the minute, I uh, just called her Enigma because we're certain she's a biac, but just she's she's an odd one she's an odd mm -hmm. one but a uh, lovely lovely temperament um, uh, animal uh, straight up when we got her from from the show and got her out of the bag for the first time no musking no biting just quite happily moved forward wasn't trying to wasn't flicking her tail or moving quickly or trying to get away um and she's still she's still placid fairly placid awesome She's gorgeous. I mean, that that's really cool to see that, and I hope to God that proves that is something cool. Um, yeah, I'm I'm I've I've got people, and I've I've asked uh, some of the sort of uh, exporters in Indonesia or the importers in Europe that if they see a male biac like her, that I I will buy it just to <laughs> just just to keep just to keep those as that project. Um, and see what it is because I've owned I've got a normal male and then a normal female as well so I'm not sort of I haven't just I don't think I'm going to sort of like try and um, lime breed her and sort of then breed uh, offspring back to her or breed siblings together I'll just sort of see what happens when I breed them if I can find another male and right. work work just work from there but it is, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what the future holds for her, and uh, see what any of her hopeful future offspring will look like. That's awesome. So, as far as let's let, let's uh, go, let's roll into breeding um, now. Uh, how how do you set up your collection, like preseason wise? Is there special feeding? Um, do you kind of bulk up on food a little bit? Like, how do you get them ready for breeding season? Um, basically, uh, I keep the same sort of six to 10 hours of basking, depending on if it's spring or autumn or summer, giving them a little bit longer basking in summer, a little bit higher temperatures. Um, the females in the month or two preceding, uh, the halt in food, because I, I don't feed them for four or five weeks before I start the cooling to make sure that their guts are completely empty and there's no chance of anything going bad inside them from them having lower metabolism so in the sort of month or two preceding breeding i'll feed the female a little bit extra just like give them an extra smaller feed in between normal prey um i'll often give uh, quail or guinea pigs as a bit of a as a bit of a mix um the scrubs seem to love adult quail uh, when I can get them and their colors just seem to 
just seem to glow after they've had a quail. I'm not I'm not sure why. They just sort of <laughs> whatever it is, it just makes them makes them brighter. But just yeah, giving giving a slight mix, the guinea pigs slightly higher in higher in fat content. So just give them a little bit of a boost to make sure they feel comfortable enough and are in good enough condition to breed. Uh, the males are just males are just fed fed on their normal sort of sporadic diet. Keep the keep the males nice and lean, uh, smaller than the females. Okay. But uh, yeah, apart from apart from that preseason, there's nothing nothing really special special that I did. Mm-hmm. I just sort of kept them at the 24, uh, that or oh, 75 Fahrenheit um, nighttime temperatures, and just turn off the red bulbs after six or eight hours around that come on just before midday and go off after midday. Okay. So how do you roll into the breeding season? What are your temps like from the beginning all the way throughout? So I'll, after, after I've given, given them uh, the stop, stopped feeding and made sure they've had sort of made sure there's two or three defecations to make sure they're fully empty around October to November, um, I'll start the cooling cycle, um, which I sort of, I was, I was talking to, I talked to multiple breeders of the species trying to find uh, as much information quickly. And I'd like to say big thanks to all those guys who put up with constant messaging or like <laughs> David, uh, David means Skyping me and giving me a whole load of information and like Dan Maleri uh, and all the guys like that, Carl Green, who just like put up with all these beginner questions. Um, so as I sort of got more and more information and everybody's sort of methods changed and I tried for the last two years, unfortunately lost, uh, nothing happened the first year. The second year I tried, um, was sort of, was going to leave them. And then the male, our, our breeding bibs are built so that they have a sliding perspex door between them so that I never have mm-hmm. to actually take the male out to put into the female. And I've noticed right. that the, this one male um, started sort of just like nosing around the door, tongue flicking around it. So it was late in the season. I mean, it was after I'd warmed them up, uh, just after I'd warmed them up, after I'd fed them. And I slid the door open almost with, within the hour he he was locking with her. Um, nice. T- time went by. Uh, and she like looked. She was darker. She was bigger at the back end. She was moving around more regularly. So everything looked like what people had said she was gravid. And then one day I noticed the the cloaca, the vent was sort of open a little bit, and I felt something something wasn't right here. Like it, it looked like she was impacted, um, but there was no oh, obvious no. bulge of feces. So brought her to the vet, had X-rays. There was un- some uh, fecal matter remained, which he hadn't managed to pass. Um, and the extra, basically the prognosis, she was she was a uh, very limp down from sort of halfway down her body. So it was diagnosed as a osteomyelitis, as a bone infection. Um, yeah. And so like, it's, it's a pretty bleak diagnosis. And even if the, the antibiotics we put her on had worked, there was a chance she would have almost definitely been paralyzed from halfway down. So she can't perch, can't, can't do anything like that. In which case the quality of life I would have had to consider 
euthanasia because mm-hmm. that's no life for it. So unfortunately, unfortunately, she passed, and it, it was it was a big hit for me. Sort of my first first scrub that I'd lost. Um, uh, I learned a lot from her, and she taught me a lot. And uh, the post mortem and histology came back that it was osteomyelitis, and basically it was sepsis caused by not being able to pass the waste from being the waste from being. Uh, paralyzed and mm-hmm. during the uh, post-mortem they actually found in the feces there was a partly undigested rat bone and in the in the intestinal tract they actually found a, a cut in the in the side of the uh, intestinal tract and basically is they the vets said that the some bacteria from that would be perfectly fine inside the intestines, got into the bloodstream, attacked no, that no. point of the spine. And it was just, they, like he said, if it attacked past her vents, then she would have been fine. But that was just how it, that was just how it happened. And unfortunately, she postmortem also showed that she had uh, 40 mil follicles, 40 million no. follicles in her. So it was, it was, it was a big hit for me. Um, so I sort of, after talking to everybody and having these having these failures, I just sort of, I amalgamated all the different um, information I got and sort of came up with my own game plan of how I wanted to try and do it and see if this method would work. So the same cooling applies that um, that David Means told me one degree uh, Celsius a week for four weeks, and coinciding with that, I dropped the daylight time from. 14 hours to 12 hours, same, just mm-hmm. one hour left each week. And then the basking bulbs were reduced uh, an hour a week as well from sort of eight to, or 10 to six hours over the sort of four week cooling cycle. And then sort of for the introductions, um, I went, I went away from the sort of biweekly introductions and separations and then reintroductions of the male um, just because I felt that it would it, that it would stress the male out being taken out that much, and then having right. to remove having to remove her from the fe- or him from the females, I'd stress her out by disturbing them. So using the sort of breeding doors between the two vivs, so the female has a six foot by six foot long, two foot deep, three foot tall enclosure, and then the male next to her has a four foot by two foot by three foot. So with the door removed, they've got ten foot of enclosure that they can have full use of. Um, occasionally I'll put both the basking bulbs on, other times I'll just put the one basking bulb so they got a, a really large uh, co- uh, thermal gradient in there. Um, and from my experience with, with these breeding doors, um, the males will start to nose around or push against the, or sort of like start pushing gently against the door after the, after the four weeks of cooling, but not generally during the actual cooling period. Um, so I sort of, it's just with, with these two adjoining bivs, it's interesting that the males will sort of, sort of give you a signal that they want, they want into the female. They sort mm. of, they're like, they're like, come on, dude, like slide the door open, let me in. Um, mm. So you just have to sort of see see that change in behaviour, and it was it sort of it was pretty just like one pretty erupt one day ignoring the doors, next day starting to nose against them, and that's when that's when I uh, removed them. 
Um, another interesting thing just for, on the behavior side that most of the male scrubs I have, um, regardless of being near a female or not, and some of the other male pythons that uh, after this cooling period was commenced, they all started to drop sperm plugs in the water bowl. Yeah. Uh, every okay. sort of two or three weeks. So that that was sort of my my that sort of to me that's a sign of like okay the males are ready they don't do this at any other time of the year. Mm -hmm. um, but I I see it's a sign that he he's ready and he wants into a female. Um, so once I see the male start to push at the door, I'll I I remove the dividers um, this year. And within 20 minutes he was starting to uh, spur the female. And then basically I let the pair cohabitate for the two to three month cool period from sort of November, December to February to March. Uh, just, I think it just keeps the stress on the male and female minimal. Um, and I was really, really happy to see that, that this little experiment worked this year. And I noticed a pattern while they were cohabiting that they'd copulate once or twice uh, each time sort of six to over 14 hours um, one day over 14 hours they do this over two two days and then they'd separate for anywhere between a week to two weeks before the male would attempt to court again um, hmm. and the female during this time the female would often sort of stay to the cooler side while follicles are being produced and the male would either bask or roam between the two enclosures and they'd quite happily bask uh, together without any sort of competition for for the basking spot. Okay. So so uh, that was that was sort of that was my that that's just something I noticed, and it's something that I did. And at least with this pair, with with another pair I try, it may not work. The the cohabiting may not work. They may not feel comfortable enough to share the basking spots. Um, so I just sort of have to, it worked for this pair, but that's not to say it'll work for another one. I'll just have to see in future. Awesome. So with the ovulations for these guys, I, I, I've heard that they get very, very, very dark when they start getting into the ovulation and being gravid. Do they also swell up huge or what, what have you seen? Um. Well, for me, sort of uh, the ovulation occurred this year is sort of quite late, um, like relative relative to what I've been told. The female mm -hmm. was sort of quite late. She was it was after the warming season, so sort of locking locking with this pair started in mid February and continued into April. Uh, okay. The warming, the warming I started in in March and is just basically the reverse of cooling everything. Daylight basking hour and uh, nighttime temps are increased by one degree each week over the four weeks to bring them back up to the normal temperature. And then after two weeks of the warming period, um, I sort of I wait till the male had moved into his viv, put the door back in between them, and then offered the female and the male a very small meal com compared to their size, sort of like a large wiener rat or a small rat for a nine mm. to 10 foot scrub python. Um, then I leave them separate for two days while they digest, uh, spray them down after the two days, get it, make sure there's no smell of any prey left on either of them, and then open the doors again. 
and then I okay. repeat that cycle, repeat this cycle every seven to 14 days, uh, keeping the prey small and then letting the male back in. And it was interesting that the male continued to eat after the warming period and continued to lock um, at the same time, which lots of people sort of would say that that's, that's males would usually go off food. Um, and mm-hmm. also the female, the female continued to eat until I think it was four to six weeks before she actually laid. And I actually stopped feeding at that point because I didn't want to risk any complications with her becoming egg bound or anything. So I, I, I have a feeling she would have carried on eating um, as it was these right. small, very small meals. Um, the last lock was observed on the 30th of April and then um, separated them out again. And then when I opened the door to let the male back in, he stayed in his bib, just didn't, didn't bother to go into the other, into the female. Um, and from around that point on, the female started to darken down noticeably in color and became a lot more defensive and a lot more wary of me. She'd, she'd start, if she was perching or she was tucked behind the, uh, behind the greenery, if I opened the door to fill up the water or to get the bowl out to clean or even just sort of walk by or did anything in the room, she'd always come out and look, which she never used to do. She used to be quite sort of laid back and killed. Um, and then for the ovulation, um, it was the night before I went, uh, I left, I left home to go to a job interview and, uh, day before the, or the morning that I left and I had a look at her and I'd noticed that she was still on the branch. She just looked really, really fat, sort of like one and a half, maybe two times normal diameter, about half to two thirds down her body. Um, okay. and being my first time breeding snakes, I was unsure if it was just sort of the way she was lying between the branches, if it just sort of looked swollen or whether a sort of, if I was sort of hoping, hoping myself and tricking myself into seeing, seeing an ovulation when I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So my first time breeding hadn't really, hadn't really didn't know what an ovulation looked like really, apart from images that I'd seen of ovulating scrubs, but where in those images, the animals were in enclosures with, without perches. So it was sort of fairly easy to see if they were on the ground, that they were obviously, obviously larger, where sort of on, when she was on the perch, it was a bit, bit harder to see. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was the ovulation and she was, she was definitely darker. I looked back through my old pictures of her and it was incredible just, any of the light patches on her um, had just gone almost sort of like a very dark brown and any of the sort of darker patches on her were almost, almost jet black. Um, and the origin, the orange, the oranges on her were also, or down her sides were also, um, were also dulled down. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, the, the female kept accepting small prey, after the ovulation, uh, no, after what I then, then realized what was the ovulation after I had the clutch and kept on accepting small prey. And, uh, part of one of the discussions in, in the group that I started was, is one of the, well, one of the keys to sort of like triggering the, the breeding response, this, this abundance of small prey 
in what would be sort of springtime when there's naturally an abundance of small young animals um, and it, I, if, if a snake is in the wild and something comes by that's an easy meal I can't see them just refusing to it. take it yeah. refusing to take it just because they're starting to get eggs or they have eggs and mm -hmm. talking to a guy in Australia he had a uh, he had a king horn-eye female that ate until the week before she laid, and right. carried on, just carried on eating. So there's still there's still so much we don't know about them, and with each with each breeding and people making observations uh, and sharing the information, which is what I sort of I hope to do. Like all my observations are from sort of a new beginner's standpoint, but I sort of I hope that just by sharing information, I can see if other more experienced guys have encountered the same thing and sort of my observations sort of like my thoughts um sort of on the right track and that but so i think just sort of the sharing of information and people ke keeping like closely detailed behavior changes and how they how they cooled them how they fed them and then just sort of being open and sharing this so more more cb scrubs are available um and sort of cut down the demand on the wild on the imported quotas. Yeah. That would be nice. So as far as your eggs, how, first off, how fun was it taking them away from her? Um, and two, uh, how did you set them up? Do you have an incubator or did you let her do maternal incubation? Uh, taking them, taking them out was, was actually easier than I was expecting. Um, so <laughs> she, she, okay. laid, she, she, she had a prelay shed and like the scrub pythons post ovulation prelay shed are the same. And that, uh, that was on the 12th of June and like she, she was before the shed and then stayed dark. So I sort of had a small hint, something was up, but the fact that she fed the day after I was sort of like maybe she isn't because like the people I were asking saying if she's eating chances are she's not gravid um, right. so uh, I put in the nest box on the 18th of June and she used it immediately and a behavior I noticed over the next four weeks until until she laid she'd spend 12 to 14 hours overnight mainly in the nest box then four to five hours roughly in the water bowl soaking just before lights came on and then around four to six hours basking, then she go back to the nest box and do the same, do just continue the same pattern until she laid. Um, then obvious, sort of the obvious signs of there being eggs was an obvious suspension was visible from beginning of July onwards. And then from about the 10th of July, you could actually see the, see the bumps of the eggs. Um, wow. two, days, two days before she laid, uh, she was constantly shifting position in the nest box every five to ten minutes. Like she just, it, she wasn't getting comfortable. You just see her moving and pushing the moss out. Um, and yeah, so anyway, on, on to the eggs. Uh, I woke up, woke up on in in the morning, sort of like woke up at six a.m. Nothing there. Decided ah, go back to sleep. Um, <laughs> woke up, woke up at nine thirty and went over there and saw eggs in there so I thought okay she's and when I went near this her head came out of the nest box so I was like right she's probably finished laying if she's if she's that alert 
So um, we just slid a uh, slid a sheet of perspex over the over the front of the nest box, and the nest box is just uh, an upside down black tub with a hole cut in the front, and then a perspex window that we fit in the top, which so we can like see in without see in easily without having to sort of worry about trying to feed. We had a um, one of those little USB endoscope cameras that I ended up mounting actually at the back of the at the back of the nest box um just when when she was out just drill the small hole and quickly and pop the uh, camera in and then just plug that into the laptop so i could see uh so just basically upside down tub lifted it out with the with the entrance hole covered and put it in the middle of a sort of open area on the floor and luckily had my dad there to help me um so just opened up opened up the tub took the lid off and you could see eight to nine eggs, and I thought, okay, that's sort of that's a that's a decent clutch more than I was expecting. Um, so I started to take her off, um, and she was she was definitely alert. She wasn't in a sort of laying trance that that some snakes go in. Uh, mm-hmm. She was she was definitely alert, and uh, so I I carefully sort of like just lifted a lifted the front part of her up. There were one or two sort of half-hearted lunges or headbutts like no mouth open anything it was just sort of like just mouth closed just trying to headbutt me away right um, so gen- gently lifted her up and hooked her head onto the branch into the or oh no that was sorry that was that was when i put her back um so just got her out and put her into a small holding tub and as i lifted her off dad got his hands in and secured the secured the egg pile and made sure none were turned over uh, there was one loose one which he picked up and put in the incubator or what, uh, straight away. Uh, and then as I put, as I was feeding her uh, into the holding tub, uh, I noticed that she hadn't actually finished laying and that she had two or three eggs left in her. And as I, as I fed her in, she actually just like popped one of the eggs out onto my hand as I turned mm-hmm. her tail into the tub. Oh, that's cool. Um, so yeah, they they feel uh, having never felt a sort of freshly laid uh, snake egg before, uh, sort of like a a lump of jello wrapped in cling film uh, type feel to them. Um, so I just left her in the holding tub, watched her. She laid the other two, so we got them out as soon as she'd laid them, so she didn't move around and knock them over. Uh, and then just completely cleaned and disinfectanted the completely cleaned, disinfectanted the enclosure, uh, gave her a very light spray of um, sort of very dilute uh, F10 disinfectant just to wash the smell of the eggs off her mm-hmm. uh, and, then, and then just fed her back in. Um, because I wasn't 100% or like because I wasn't anywhere near 100% sure that I'd actually managed to get them to this point um, and I wasn't sure that she was gravid. Uh, I just, we decided to set up a, just like the old simple nest boxes of a poly box with a heat mat on top, vermiculite at the bottom. Um, one of my friends use, has used this for, for 20, 30 years and he's, and he swears by it. He just says it's simple and it works, but Having having had a little bit of sort of like issues with getting the humidity quite high enough and some of the eggs dimpling a little bit in the first day or two and then having to add moss, 
I've decided that I'm either going to sort of design and build my own incubator or, mm-hmm. or just go down the route of buying a professional one. But it was sort of, it was, it was sort of, we had them set up for a week or two. We had them set up for two weeks running at the right temperatures, at, at the right humidity, um, just in case. But we, we sort of didn't have the funds immediately available to go out and buy a new big incubator. We just didn't have the sort of we just didn't have the finances available at that time because of uh, just just we had one of one of the cars. The engine blew up and we had to uh, had to replace the block on that. So that Jeez. sort of that 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 that, that knocked the uh, professional incubator on the head. So we just made made yeah. we. With the with the poly boxes, but lesson learned, plans plans for next year in place and working on on improving it. So every everything's everything's still a learning curve. We're all still learning each day that we keep. So um, all the eggs bar one look good, and they all the eleven of them look fine. One of them has the small has turned a little bit grey. Um, has dimpled a little bit more than the others, but it's still, it's still, it's just a tiny sort of like one centimeter patch of grey on the top. So I'm hoping that it'll pull through, and I sort of, I made sure there was no condensation getting on it, and mm-hmm. uh, just put like a little bit of uh, sort of dry, dryish moss just sort of over the top to make sure if it had got any condensation on that it was fine but the other eggs in that box i've got two boxes running i thought i'd split the clutch to yeah. sort of make sure if, if something went wrong with one of them i did have a backup uh and the other three eggs in in that incubator look absolutely fine so it's just one of them uh unfortunately in sort of my my beginners my uh beginners excitement and sort of Worry, just like wanting to get them into the incubator as soon as possible, uh, we didn't candle them, and so we mm. never knew if they were showing good vein development or not. And after they were in, I just didn't. I didn't want to take the risk of having to take them out and then and then candle them and put them back in. I just didn't want to take the risk on it. So just I... just another just another thirty odd days left until until the hopeful hatch day. I, I, I do love what you're saying because it is very much the first clutch jitters that you will eventually get over. <laughs> like, like I have seen the ugliest, most disgusting eggs hatch a perfectly good baby. But I remember being like, oh, God, there's a dark spot on that one. Clearly it's doomed. Like, you know, that, that'll pass. Also, the I need to get them in the incubator so quickly. I... Like this year, I put them in a box, set them down, then I've cleaned the cage, taking care of mom. And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I got to put these things in the incubator. <laughs> so that'll go away to the candling or not wanting to disturb them. I'll just you poke around, then candling becomes boring. So you don't even candling, you don't even candle them anymore. So yeah, this will all your next clutch will be totally different, and then eventually you'll have it down so pat, all this jittery stuff will go away. So. <laughs> It, yeah, but so it, I did find I do find it awesome that you're talking that way. It's cool. So good luck. Hopefully, you get some little worms squirreling out of there. So hopefully, hope, hopefully, I've managed. I managed to. Uh, 
I managed to persuade my sister to uh, give me my Christmas present of a macro lens early, so hopefully I can get some, <laughs> nice, uh, some, some nice macro macro shots of them coming out of the egg, and hopefully get the egg toothed on them as well. So, do just do yourself a favor, and don't check them before you leave for work, because <laughs> if you do, that will be when they're hatching. And then you will be late for work. So it's like, or just assign yourself that you're going to be late for work. So either way, either way just come to terms with that then. So. Nice. Good, good advice. Good advice. Yeah. Cool. Um, so how many days total do you think it's going to be for those eggs? I don't know if you said, uh, I might have missed when you said that. No, uh, I've, well, I've got I've got thirty days thirty days left roughly, um, but sort of the scrub eggs incubation lasts from people I've talked to anywhere from sort of seventy to seventy five to eighty five days. What? Okay. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. What, what temp are you incubating them at? Uh, I'm incubating them at somewhere between it's roughly eighty eight point eight Fahrenheit. Uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. like there's a, there's there's a slight fluctuation between about 88.4 and 88.8, and the humidity is staying between 88 and 92. Um, no. Yeah. So, so those hopefully, are, I mean, those are normal Python temps, so I guess yeah. they just take a little bit longer. Oh. Yeah, so as, as a first clutch, having that extra extra little bit to wait doesn't doesn't help. You're just sort of you're pressing even more and going is is it is everything going to be okay? And every day goes on, you sort of think, have I done everything right? And was there something I could have done differently? Well, right. you're 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 not up against the glass yet. I mean, well, I, well you know, like once once you get your professional incubator with a glass door. This way you can press your face up against it and stare at them. Then you know you're in <laughs> trouble. Like then you know you've gone too far. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very but... cool. Man, that would be like the uh, the longest thirty days. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we say this, and I'm like, day day fifty seven, and carpets are hatching, and I'm like, yay. You know, imagine another like you know, twenty think, days on. Top yeah, of that. no, forget that. The only time I ever hatched a carpet clutch that took that long, I forgot to plug in the incubator. So, which <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> that was a bad move on my part. You know, that was yeah. So, um, but geez, uh, that's almost monitor, uh, uh, time frames there with how long it takes for those guys to hatch that's like they're yeah. somewhere in the 80s and 90s so yeah well and like the uh is it the healer monsters are are even longer than that they're into sort of 100 day plus or something yeah certain monitors and healers are like into the 100 something day plus like uh my friend's white throat monitors are 100 and something they were in the incubator my carpet python eggs were in the incubator hatched and were out of the incubator <laughs> before his came anywhere close to being ready. So, yeah, that's just how that went. But uh, 
the smaller monitors like uh, Indicus and Mangroves, they're like in the 80 to 90 range. So right yeah, about there right. where scrubs are. Yeah. Jeez. That's wow. cool. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so is there, uh, well, I'm just curious, is there anything that you did uh, say this season that you may change for your next breeding season, which is right around the corner, by the way. I mean, yeah, I don't know yeah. you guys, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. have no time off. I hope you yeah. know that. So, Jesus. Yeah, we've got. Um, we're looking. We're looking. Hopefully, to breed the uh, the Timors. Uh, one of our pair of Timors this year. Uh, <clears throat> try breeding those. So they went through a trial cooling period last year. Um, just a sort of little bit of a drop in temperature stopping feeding just to get used to that that sort of cycle um, very cool oh is, my god please breed more <laughs> <laughs> which is which is basically what we actually uh, do for all of all of the animals um coming into winter they get a drop down all of them the juveniles as well um like juvenile scrubs i'll drop to sort of 22 22 celsius for a month or so uh, not feed them, and then for the slightly older ones, they'll get dropped to sort of 21 Celsius and two months without food. And then for the ones that I'm either preparing to breed for the following season or the ones I'm trying to breed this season, they'll be dropped. Uh, as I said, for the sort of northern and the southerns, I'll drop to uh, sort of 22 Celsius, um, 21 Celsius, um, or oh, sorry, down to 20 Celsius. And then with the oxabils, with the highlands, I do let them get down occasionally to uh, sort of 17, 18 Celsius. They've, I don't think I've ever dropped them down quite to 17, but easily 18, 19 Celsius just for one, maybe two days during uh, over a period of a fortnight. It just seems, from what I've been told, it seems to spur the males on um, and sort of get them a bit more eager to breed uh, but with the others with the throngs I'll just sort of keep them to a slightly warmer temperature but everything everything is sort of from uh, when I get it everything is the younger I get it I think the better it, they can get used to my style of keeping they can get used to how I do things become acclimatized better and just with the temperature drops it isn't a sudden change when they get to be an adult animal that suddenly they're dropped down a lot cooler than they're used to um, so that their, their, their immune systems and they're, they're ready for it. They're used to this break in feed. They're used to this drop in cooler temperatures. Gotcha. Okay. Nice. Um, and you're breeding Timors, but any other scrubs coming up this season that you're going to try? Or any uh, other species? Uh, I've got um, another pair of, uh, Oxbills that I hope will go. Um, a female I got in about a year and a half ago now. She's she may I think she's about eight or nine years old, so she's easily old enough. Um, and then the male I'm using is actually the uh, the sire of um, the what the female that I've just bred this year. Uh, he was the sire of her that um, I think it was Frank Schofield bred. Um, so oh, it was okay. his, 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 his original, his original male Oxabil. Um, 
So if I, I, I want to get I want to get one more clutch because I'm, I'm aware that he is pushing on a bit. So I'd hope to get another clutch from him. So it will be sort of partly related to this clutch. Um, so I've got that that one that those I'm hoping to go the uh, silver to Nimbars. The female should be ready by then. Uh, the Timors, uh, we're going to try the Water Pythons, the Woma Pythons, uh, the Mangroves, hopefully will, will the female, I think, is ready to go. And then the Boiga Cyania as well, are sort of, there are, there are main projects for, for this season, but unfortunately, none of the, not, I've either got an, uh, an adult female and then a juvenile male that's too small for some of the scrubs, or they're just too small in general. Um, still, just still too young for me to want to try to breed. So I prefer gotcha. to get younger animals, uh, get younger animals, and just grow them up slowly. Yeah, I think that's the way to go when it comes to scrubs. I mean, sometimes you don't mm-hmm. have a choice, but I mean, yeah, true, that, uh... true, yeah. With scrubs, with scrubs being few and far between, and from from my own from my own sort of experience, and now from discussing with other people, I think that. Uh, because of the because of scrubs being so prone to being stressed and being quite highly strong animals anyway, um, I think that uh, they should be sort of habituated in in one collection for a minimum of two years before they're put through the the rigors of breeding, just to let any stress from the move sort of um, go. And so they get used to a new owner, a new, uh, some, a new way of working with them before they're put through the stress of breeding. Because I put down the fact of the osteomyelitis is, was it due to the fact that she's, she was a bit more stressed because of the breeding and she couldn't quite fight that infection off. So I think a sort of minimum of two to three years in, in one collection. And unfortunately with scrubs, as you see, a lot of people that, get into them and then try them and then not manage to make it and then sort of get out before, before they, before they should, like if they stuck to it another year or maybe two years, they'd probably have success, but lots of people seem to be getting, getting a pair or so or getting approved pair when they're available and then suddenly changing their minds to go in a different direction and, uh, and letting them go. So I think, I think what we need is sort of more people sticking long term to them, like Dan and Dave and um, and uh, Joe and that, just like sticking sticking long term and uh, put really putting the time in and the effort into bringing up young animals um, and then breeding them breeding them from there. I agree. That's music to my ears. I've been saying that forever because uh, I think that's the curse. <laughs> The scrub python curse, you know, they look so cool and that, you know, such an awesome snake. And then, you know, you, you go and you get, you go on scrub overload. And the next thing you know, you're like, wait a minute, I can't manage these snakes. Wait a minute. I've, met, I've made a mistake. Yeah. 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 Eric's done it multiple times. He's gotten scrubs and then gotten rid of them. And right now yeah. he's, in a, he's in a getting scrub phase. So, you know. No, you know, I, I really regret, because uh, I had some pretty awesome scrubs. Yes, you did. I, I really regret getting rid of them. I think, like I said before, like, 
you know, before you get an animal like a scrub python, you should really think about, you know, being able to house them properly and be able to work with them properly. And like Mm -hmm. the room that I had, I just could not work with them, you know, without them like climbing up the windows and like trying to kill you. And like, you know, I, 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 three different hooks and I'm trying, you know, my room before was small, but now I'm in a a better spot and a house that I'll be in for a while. So you know, now's the time to start getting the collection back together. Um, you yeah, know, no, I, all... I, I agree with what you say about um, about sort of being being ready to work with them. Uh, I had the two young young barnites that I first got, and when I was talking to uh, Jim about buying uh, the Marauke, which he said was one of the nastiest scrubs he worked with, like, because <laughs> I was so inexperienced, I, he said, he said, like, he, he was wary of it. And I, un- I understood that fact because I understand that he doesn't want to get a message two weeks after I get it saying, this thing's just latched onto my neck. I don't want it anymore. It's yours. <laughs> he sold it to me. Um, so when I went over there to collect it from him, cause I agreed to go over, collect it. He agreed very kindly to spend a couple of hours um, like basically teaching me uh, hook and tailing techniques of scrub pythons going through a range of his animals from calm ones to the more aggressive ones. Uh, and I said to him when I got down there, I said, I said, look, if when we get this Marauke out, if at any point I feel like I'm not going to be able to handle her or give her the care that she needs or, I think that that I'm not going to be able to give her the best life I can because she is she is out of my league at the minute, she's out of my skill range. I said I will just say I'll walk away from her. I'll you can keep the deposit and like and that that's that. I said I just like because I knew that if if I didn't feel confident myself that I could handle her, then there was no way that I should keep her. Like, there's no way that there's I have I have no right to keep an animal like that if I don't feel confident in working with it safely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's important because they're they they are definitely uh, can be a handful. I mean, <laughs> they're not carpet pythons. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, if a carpet python strikes at you, it's like yeah, okay, I guess. You know, and even if it bites you, it's like okay. But, you know, some scrubs can be uh, – <laughs> that can be, you know. But the trade-off is, is that they're incredibly awesome animals. Um, yeah, they're just, they're, just, they're just amazing animals to work with. They're, the, the, just the look of them, uh, how fast they can actually move uh, when, when you have them out and if you, like, give them an air that they can move around in and part of my sort of, like, enrichment – uh, methods is that I have like a large branch that I use for uh, photography, which is just screwed onto. It's a big sort of eight foot tree that's screwed onto a big wooden base that's secured with uh, wooden struts at the bottom. And part of my enrichment is when I get them out is I'll let them move across that branch. They can get higher. They can use more of different muscles than they would do in the Viv. Um, investigate a little bit more and they usually, I don't think I've ever had one actually uh, strike at me from the branch uh, trying to get it back down, which 
I feel quite lucky that one of them hasn't decided to perch on the highest bit and just gone right. Well, I'm I'm keeping this. I'm keeping this. You can you can you can go and give that enclosure to somewhere else. I'm happy up here. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts on this. Like, I firmly believe that scrubs will follow suit like retics. Um, I think that once you start seeing more and more captive bred animals, um, I think that they will be a little more settled down in captivity. You know, once you have truly captive born and bred, you know, yeah. animals, I don't think that you'll ever be able to fully trust them a hundred percent, you know, similar <laughs> to like retics. Um, or white lips, dude, white lips. My captive born and bred golds are a huge step away from the wilds, but don't ever trust them. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I never. think that's, that's the, that's the trick is like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, it can't, I mean, all other pythons pretty much follow the same suit. I don't see why these would be any different, you know. It just seems crazy to me to think that uh, that they wouldn't. But So, yeah, I mean, from from my own experience with them, because luckily, I've, like, the, the oxabils I've bred now, they were both CB and they're, they were unrelated. They were bred. Um, one was uh, Frank Schofield bred them, and then another one was someone in... Holland, who I can't think of his name at the minute, um, but they were both CB, and until until the female um, became gravid and laid a clutch, she was she was quite laid back. Um, the male, he was he was a bit more on edge, and definitely more on edge once once the breeding season was there naturally. Uh, the, the scrub that I lost, um, Azen, she was. She was CB as well. She was Havoc's Havoc's sister, the female I've just bred. But she was uh, she was very very calm. Uh, she probably is. I did I did trust her. I mean, she used to wrap around my waist and just sit there. She never hissed at me. Never ever struck at me. I could take her out barehanded. And I think it's sort of is you have to give them a mutual there's there should be a mutual healthy respect between you and the animals and also you have to sort of like learn your animals and know when you can sort of push the boundaries of handling a little bit further or when you just back off and say no I'm going to leave you um so I don't sort of you, you do have to have a you do I wouldn't trust sort of really any of the scrubs I have now, but Azen, Azen was something special. She's just one of those one in a million animals that you get that just defies everything that you ever hear about them. And, and she was, she was, she was a sweetheart. I would have felt perfectly happy sort of bringing her to educational shows and feel a hundred percent certain that she was, that she'd never have lashed out because she was just such a amazingly calm animal. Right. That's sort of, but that's, that's, that's just how, that's just sort of my opinion and sort of people can see some of my pictures and I wouldn't advise people to, uh, to sort of, to try and get the same pictures with, with, with their scrubs that I do with them sort of like in the vicinity of uh, a foot away from your face or something. I've been luckily enough while I've been doing a photography course to uh, be at home and working with these animals basically full time for, a year and a half since I finished college and I've got to just working with the animals with in that amount of time you 
do get to learn the individual very, very quickly and sort of what you can do and what you can't do. So for some of them, I know that I can, I can let them sort of like come close to my arm. Others, I'm definitely wary of. The, uh, the, the biggest one I have is 15, 15 foot plus Kofi Owl. Um, I, I wouldn't trust him anywhere near, near like my arm thing, even if he, because he, even though he's calm out of the Viv, he just has, has, he's, he's got a previous reputation of like striking out in the Viv, standing and fighting. And I just wouldn't trust him sort of like to let his head go near my arm or sort of any bare part of me. So I always wear sort of a thick jumper when I take him out or when I handle him. So it's all sort of down to finding finding your own limits with each each individual animal that you work with is is how is how I is how I I found it works best is sort of I don't tar them all with sort of one brush it's sort of work see which ones you can be a bit more liberal with handling with but that's that's just works for me so but as I said everybody everybody has a different way of keeping and naturally people don't agree with some ways and people do agree with some other ways but that's part of what makes the hobby what it is is a little bit of discussion a little bit of friction is good for is is good yeah as long as, there's not, <laughs> as long as there's not too much sort of like trash talking and everything but a, a sure. little bit of a little bit of uh, friction is good for good for the hobby yeah, well, it makes people think outside of their box. You know, uh, you get sometimes you get stuck in this box, and your your views you sort of like, uh, you know, become married to your views, and you, you don't <laughs> <laughs> you don't ever want to change. And we all know those people, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, I'm all, always learning, especially with this type of species. You know, I mean, you gotta you gotta listen to experiences from other people and and what their thoughts are, and I think. Right when you have them Definitely. figured out, you know, something else comes along. That's why I, I, like I said at the beginning of the show, I like that page that you started because it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of getting back to the roots of why we all got into this, not just looking at pretty morphs and stuff like that. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that, that is my main sort of aim with that group is to just sort of create lively, friendly discussion about, uh, different aspect, aspects of not just scrub pythons, but sort of I'm trying to sort of encompass the whole of the Somalia genus, um, sort of Bolans and uh, King Horneye, Traceae, Tanimbars, and Amethystina, just sort of try and create a good core group and a good strong foundation of information that people like me who uh, who are coming into scrubs and are still new to the scene as we can talk to the more experienced people and learn from them share our own thoughts and feelings and maybe who knows one of these one of these up and coming new guys who are getting into the scrubs uh like christopher or some of the other guys like they may just like they may see something or witness something or do something which no one else has thought of and that may work and then hopefully they'll share that so everybody so other people who have the focus of of just wanting to breed these species and not keep them just as sort of like, wow, look at me, I'm a badass, I have, I have a scrub <laughs> python. Um, the people, the people who are dedicated, dedicated, uh, dedicated to the species, um, can then, can then sort of further their own, their own breeding attempts. So right. that's sort of that's my goal. That's my goal with that group. 
is just to sort of further the discussion and try and find out sort of what makes these animals these animals tick and the keys to reproductive success. Right. Um, so I'm curious, you know, and this is often a debate that comes up with um, when it comes to scrub pythons, but when, what are, what is your thoughts on localities? Like how do you approach localities? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, um, it's, it's an interesting topic. Uh, we're, I mean, it's, it's difficult to me for really, like, I can't, I can't talk definitively about localities or how to distinguish them. I haven't been working with them long enough or seen enough animals to, to even start trying to say, I mean, I recognize certain pictures when people ask and I sort of say that looks, I'd recognize, okay, that looks like that one of mine. Um, and then sometimes, sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. Uh, but it's just, we're all, it, it's very hard to sort of give educated opinions on localities that are coming in because the amount of scrubs that are being misrepresented by importers like accidentally or for some of the everybody knows that there are some dodgy importers there bit that can misrepresent them deliberately mm. um so it's we've, we're relying on on what the importers say and people like dan Maleri who are actually going over to indonesia and working with the with the farms and the collectors over there um, to sort of try and nail down these these things uh, to, to nail down the localities is is really important. I mean, you can't. I don't personally think just from like going by having studied science for at college that you can't go about classifying the localities by working with imported specimens or captive bred specimens where you're relying on the purity of say the captive bred specimens um and the importers sort of providing accurate locality names or collection data um or like just working with working with these imported animals and so i think what really needs to be done is someone to put the the, the time the money the effort into traveling out to um, Papua and to the surrounding islands, uh, working with collectors, exporters, uh, and the farms, and sort of photographing wild scrubs in situ and providing either, I would say GPS data, but unfortunately that if GPS data is supplied as we've been seeing with scientific papers recently that give locations of rare animals, poachers are using these scientific papers go in and find those animals and take them illegally so wow. even an, even an approx even an approximate location of the animal that they photographed in situ um and then for someone to continue working out sort of trying to find out each of the ranges of each locality what factors separate the localities is it just in the tongue color scale count i mean ideally i'd love to see if there was a genetic study of numerous wild caught specimens from each locality um and sort of these genetic studies will be able to sort of maybe try and help see if there is a separation in species um of what we're calling localities are actually separate species or just subspecies of mm -hmm. the genus. i mean similar to what uh ari ari is doing with boland's python research is 
it'd be it'd be brilliant if we could have someone in the scrub world that was doing the same type of research by actually traveling out to their native range um, right not right. Just working and relying on importers so i mean as far as localities go it's it's a it's a tough one. It's a tough one at the minute. We're we're all either you've got different names between Europe and and America with sort of like Oxville or Highland or Tamika. Orange. It's, yeah. 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 Orange Mountain. Um, mm-hmm. You've got stuff sort of the Wamin type animals are now sort of being um, imported under the Jayapura name, um, mm-hmm. and. And so, but you're getting also getting the old Jayapura type Barnex imported with them, so it's it's that it needs to be sorted out sort of at the source, not just relying on what is coming in. In in my opinion, so that that's that's just my two cents worth on the on the localities is to actually definitively uh, classify them is. There needs to be someone out in out in Indonesia doing the work on them in the wild. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. If someone could, uh, I mean, if someone. Sorry, if yeah, someone would you... pay. I was going to say, if someone would pay for me to do it, I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think. Ken, I think. I think everybody would jump at that opportunity. If they were paid to do it, yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. But I mean, just gotta pay I mean, me what I make it work. That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's all. I mean, so yeah. a, a long, long distance, long, long term dream or goal is in the future. Hopefully, I'll, um, hopefully, I'll have more success breeding, and hopefully, put the proceeds from each successful breeding I get into funding trips out to Papua and trying to sort of do what Ari did and network with with the um, indigenous people and work with the uh, exporters and the collectors. Um, so like try and fund my own trips out there, even if all I can do is sort of give information back on habitat or provide pictures of certain localities. If, if I can't do the genetic studies, hopefully like something good will come of that. But that's sort of, that's a long-term dream. I mean, Ultimately, I'd love to produce a book that goes into detail on scrub pythons, but I think I'll need to either start producing a lot more a lot more scrubs, or uh, I need a lottery win to come my way for that to happen. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but, but we've all got, we've all got to have goals, and and that's my goal is is I got into the scrubs early on and keeping. I I love them, um, and I'm. I, I really enjoy working at the, working with them, and at this point now, I can't see a point in my life where I won't have a scrub python, um, just because I, I've just sort of gone completely down that route, and I'm focused on them now. So that is that is my long-term goal. But hey, who knows? Things may change. We'll just have to see. Right. So my next is that is that what you were talking about when you were talking about your research project? What's uh, no, my current the current research project is it's, it's another fairly long term one is looking at causes of death in the Somalia genus in captivity. Um, as I said, I experienced the loss from my from osteomyelitis and I lost a other female scrub, unfortunately, the, a southern that also had follicles 
from a brain tumor that took her down in 10 days. Um, oh. Sort of one day, one day she was normal. Uh, second day, uh, two days later, had a small bump, thought it was an abscess, brought to the local vet in, in where we live who does have the exotics experience. He wasn't going to be able to do a operation to remove the abscess. So we booked a very over as soon as we could, like within two days to the UK to go to one of the best exotic vets over there who's our friends, um, Tarek, um, at Great Western Exotics. And he did his best for her, put her on top shelf antibiotics. We did bloods. The bloods came back with a sort of indicating a virus, the white count, and that indicated a virus. So I was thinking, I was sort of like, crap, could this have, could this have spread to my collection could this have spread anywhere else um and luckily uh, luckily it wasn't a virus that was a that was the only sort of upside to it but unfortunately it was the histopathology showed that it was a very aggressive cancer that had uh, had got into the head case and just affected the brain so that was Damn. so after experiencing these two losses um the vets he suggested that I start research into this and collaborate with other keepers um, who've experienced losses to get full histopathology, try and get about 30 to 50 individual case studies with the full histopathology and see if there are any sort of diseases or conditions that seem to affect uh, Somalia to a greater degree, be it osteomyelitis um, or cancers. Um, I, I remember seeing on a post recently in Scrub Pythons that another keeper unfortunately lost a uh, sarong to osteomyelitis as well. So it seems possibly just based on these two coming up in sort of within uh, nine months to a year that maybe scrubs are more vulnerable to to these type of spinal infections. Um, I know my vet said they, there's possible causes of striking glass doors can weaken their and make it easier for an infection to take hold. So that's that is my current research project, and I sort of I'll I'll make a make a plug now. If there are any scrub keepers out there um, that do lose an animal, and of course I hope that none of you lose an animal. I hope they all live long, healthy lives. But if 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 something happens, uh, I I'd, I'd be really grateful if you could if get a full histopathology done. I may be able to help with with uh, the costs of the histopathology, and then if you could send the the reports to me so that they can go in with a case study and provide some background info on the animal, be it captive bred, wild caught, if it's been treated for anything, what it's did it have any particular behaviours like striking the glass more, and try and get a really sort of like solid information base and see if we can see if I can sort of find out if there is some sort of problem that affects scrubs more than others and see what we can do to try and combat that problem. Yeah. Um, see if, to see if there's a way to reduce the number of these, of these fatalities. Right. I like that idea. I mean, well, I mean, it's, I, and I doubt you're going to go, it's not like you're going to be sharing this publicly or anything like that. So I don't see why people would kind of be, um, I see where people would be hesitant, but I, I don't feel that they uh, should be. So, yeah, uh, more information well, I mean, out there, the better things are shared. 
Yeah, I mean, if eventually, hopefully, the report will get published, there there won't be any names, and I mean, there won't be any names in the in the report or anything. It'll all be anonymous. Um, but like, I of all people having experienced those two losses, I understand that. Like sometimes bad shit just happens for a reason. It's just like I've learned from my two losses. I like I had I had them early on in my keeping career. They knocked me back. I did consider after the second one, just sort of saying, is this for me? Like, do I want to carry on down this road? Um, and luckily, my sort of my girlfriend and, and and my parents were sort of like, you put so much into them. Do you want to? You've worked with the animals there. We always said they're sort of their pets first. Sort of pets, not in the money mm-hmm. type sense, but they're not sort of just things to make money they're they're sort of they are they are they are family pets and like we name each of them um and we know each of their little individual personalities so sort of i did so i thought about like did i want to get out of them and sell them and decided no like i want to i'm I'm giving them the best life that i can or i can provide um here and uh, and i want to breed them so sort of the, the decision was made for me that I couldn't let them, I couldn't let these animals go and not know where they were going to or how they were going to be kept. So, and I want to eventually, uh, I hope to sort of breed a larger range of localities of scrub pythons or, or a larger range of species of the Somalia genus than, than anybody has previously, just sort of not focus on one species or a small number of localities, just sort of try and do try and try and breed as many localities and species as I can eventually. Mm. Um, and that's, that's sort of, that is, that's my main, that's sort of my main goal. Yeah. Is there any specific locality type that, or species that you don't have currently that you would love to add to, to the collection? Yeah. That you really want. Uh, Australian scrub pythons. <laughs> oh, there you go. That was all <laughs> well. That's, that's, of course. That's, that's the, of course, uh, any any scrub nut has to say has to say the to ones have the you can't have. The ones right. I can't have. Yeah. Um, the ones I can have. Uh, the only one I'm sort of I'd really like are Tracies, so the Halma Hairas. Uh-huh. Um, I'm I'm trying to work trying to work on getting getting a pair. I was meant to buy a pair from some friends a year or two ago, but unfortunately the female three days before I was due to drive over to the show and collect the female, just unfortunately just like dropped dead. No reason. Uh, So instead of buying the single male, I just thought I'll wait for it. Um, Was a bit sort of like hesitant then after, after that happened of, do I want to get Tracy A's knowing that they do have a, or they have got a reputation of just dropping dead for sort of no apparent reason. But um, a friend, a friend uh, sort of, he works with, he's a zoo broker, so he can, he swaps animals with zoos. Um, and then he has permission to sell them on with the full history, um, as long as no money passes hands between the zoos, of course, because they only work on, zoos only work on trades. So I'm hoping right. that if I can, if I can get, these sort of animals that have been in zoo conditions um, that hopefully that it's uh, that they should be well settled and uh, sort of more suitable to go into a large 
sort of display Viv rather than sort of I've been talking to people recently about sort of uh, how to acclimatize um, Tracia in captivity. Uh, and most of them is it's starting off in, in a tub sort of with uh, just like hides, a fairly larger water bowl, keep them dark. But I think with zoo animals that are more likely to have been kept in a large enclosure with uh, lighting and that, I'd stand a better chance of, for my way of keeping to work, if I get those type of animals. Ideally, I'd love I'd love to try and get some so to get a group of juvenile tracia in um, and try and raise them from young. But finding juvenile tracia from importers <laughs> is is, is mm. virtually impossible. Yeah, they can that, only just come in with what you got. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, uh, yes. I had a, a female, she was a 2009, but she already had some size on her. And yeah. I would say this, this would be my recommendation. Like when I first got her, I kept her. Yeah. Uh, if you look at a lot of the old posts on Morelia Python forum, it would say about keeping them warmer. Don't do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, that's wrong. Wrong. Sort of, and, sort, of, sort of like the class to let just keep them. They seem to be from talking to uh, Scott Scott Borden yep. that he sort of says keeping them keeping them slightly cooler the basket's hot slightly cooler than than the other amethystina seems to work for the class of leopards and from my own observations I I agree with him. Yeah, the other thing is is that they say that Hal Mahara is uh, very wet, which uh, I think when Rob Stone did the uh, the actual analysis of it. I think Owen gets more rain in Birdsboro, PA yeah. than how Mahara does, <laughs> which <laughs> kind of changes your thoughts, but I wouldn't keep them wet either. But I, I basically, I kept my girl in a tub and yeah. she did great um, because they are a little bit more, uh, I, I've only worked with, I've had four of them. Um, yeah. But uh, I found them to be a little more, secretive i guess maybe is the word than yeah, other shy, scrubs yeah more shy and just yeah. not as not as sort of not not as brave as the others or not as not as mm-hmm. brazen as the others who are a little bit more uh confident and a little bit more cocky yeah <laughs> so uh, my female right, di- yeah she yeah, died when i moved no i was gonna say she died when i moved ah. so I, I don't know if it was the stress ah. of moving move or whatever yeah. but other than that, yeah, they, they, they do have, as as my friends have said, they do just have a habit sometimes of dropping dead for no apparent reason, and you can't you're racking your brains trying to think of why. But sometimes it's just it just happens. But, uh, but like thank, thanks for the thank, thanks for that. Like if 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 I do manage to get these, I'll definitely sort of bear that in mind of keeping them cool or keeping them maybe spray them a little bit more or give them the extra water bowl if they. As one of my other friends, they do seem to be more uh, more uh, fond of water than than the other than the other scrub pythons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good luck with finding them. If <laughs> if you find any and uh, there's extras, uh, you let me know. <laughs> of, right? course, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, Owen, do you want to hit on the? Uh, the closing questions and then, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Let's do that. So you already covered uh, if you could add any animal in your collection, what would it be? And you already said King Horneye. So <laughs> that's that. Um, so now I assume you've done uh, quite a little bit of herping or anything like that, if you could out there. Um, if you could go anywhere, though, and look for snakes, uh, where would you go and what would you be hoping to find? Uh, uh, well... I know, I know what I know. What the most, the, probably the most obvious answer is, 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 is just, is just go to Australia. Um, right. I'm sort of, but I'm sort of. There is, there is a sort of going to, or going to Indonesia would almost would win out for me. I think because I'd be able to relate what I see and what I observe to the animals I actually keep. I mean, going to Australia and seeing King Horneye would be fantastic. But I'm going to leave there going. I know I'm not going to get these in captivity, and that just really annoys me. Right, <laughs> no, no learning, no learning experience. Right, I got you. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably end up just like saying, okay, I think I'm going to stay in Australia just so I can sort of like keep King Horneye here, and I'm just going to have a pair that are mine that have to stay here. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, so in- Indonesia would be probably my number one place to go herping, just for the fact that I'd be able to see the animals hopefully see the animals i keep in captivity okay and uh what is going to be your next big reptile purchase um well uh i hope my parents aren't listening because i did say that after these seven i'd stop that's a lie Um, it's always a lie (laughs) there's no stopping and they know it so anyway um the next probably big, big reptile purchase would probably have to be more Moluccan pythons, I'd say. Um, I have I have a single juvenile female that was wild caught, and they are very appealing to me. Um, I wouldn't say they're my favorite of the scrub python complex, but I would definitely like to get a breeding trio of them, hopefully unrelated with some CB blood in them. So that that would probably be my next big purchase would be some CB class Telephus if they come up in Europe. Awesome. I think also your the next thing you should be looking into is uh, getting clearance to uh, export to the United States because if you <laughs> if you breed Timors, I want some. So you're gonna have to figure out how to send them to me. So we'll have to figure that out together. Um, Eric yeah, will the, be involved too. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been I've been I've been approached about this uh, a couple of times by guys over in America saying, "Are you going to sort of set yourself up for for export?" And eventually, I mean, if all goes to plan and I do breed the amount of scrubs that I hope to breed, I'm not going to be able to sell them all into Europe. So the only option really available is for me is to open myself up for export and then hopefully instead of just exporting related pairs is export groups of unrelated pairs of different localities to people in the states so that furthers their own bloodlines and the bloodlines of captive bred scrubs in the states as well oh, yeah. it, is, it is it is planned it is it is in it is in the planning process of how we go about it so awesome so when you send a box of locality scrubs to Eric, just slide into <laughs> Timor Pythons for Owen, and then we're good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fine. Deal, yeah, deal. 
Yeah, like I'll just piggyback off of Eric's stuff. So it's all good. So <laughs> often, curious, so, go real ahead. quick, oh, and I got another question that I just want to throw in there. Do you see yourself ever getting into Bowen's pythons? Yeah. Um, this is this is going to cause some divided opinions for people. Um, I like dum, Bolans. Dum, dum, dum. I, <laughs> I, 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 I like Bolans and. I would keep them, and I I would like to get them eventually. Um, I do think there is sort of, because of how unusual they are and how rare they are to breed, the amount of hype surrounding them, it's just, it's gotten, it's just gotten too far with people being like, like there's the holy grail of, of pythons to me, Owen Pelly's are the holy grail of pythons. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a smart that's, one. That's 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 my that's my feeling. Um, yeah, well, Owen Pelly's are more scrub-like in my opinion, anyway. So, or yeah. at least kind of. Yeah. I just I just feel if Bolans were were sort of as easily bred as as sort of other as carpet pythons that even with their fantastic looks, they still wouldn't have. The, the hype around them, I feel, um, and but I but I would as, as sort of as a fan of the Somalia genus, I would like to get a pair eventually, and I've looked at looked into getting a pair or getting a single category where they've come available, uh, but unfortunately, just at that time, uh, another one or two scrubs have come up, and then I'm just like they're the main thing I want to do, <laughs> so. I'll, I'll I'll stick with them and then keep Bolands back for when you can get sort of more um, unrelated CB CB animals. So that's right. sort of that that's that's my take. I would like to keep Bolands, but at the minute I'm sort of I'm I'm definitely focused on focused on the scrub pythons at the minute. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry, Owen. Go ahead. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. Uh, so, Lawrence, uh, you want to chuck out websites, Facebook? How would somebody get in contact with you if they want to chew your ear off about scrubs or even kind of bug you about some babies and stuff like that? Uh, on the uh, the Lark Python page on Facebook, um, is like people can feel free to message me there, and the majority of people who've messaged me there asking about information I've just said told to to add me as a friend just because it's a lot easier to talk than doing the whole going through the face, uh, the page manager thing. Um, mm-hmm. and I get to have sort of a more fluid conversation with them or even just sort of arrange a time when we can both sort of like just talk to each other about them. So yeah, Lark Pythons, uh, the website, I do have a website. Um, I think it's linked there. That's still under construction at the minute. Um, I was waiting until I sort of had a couple more, couple more sort of clutches under my belt so you could, I could have available animal section, but that is, that is being worked on. Um, otherwise, yeah, just okay. even if people, even if people just want to hit me up on, on my own page, I think I'm probably the only Lawrence Kensington on Facebook. Um, <laughs> so yeah, cool. any, anybody, anybody, anybody who wants to, wants to ask questions, um, um, or like to talk to me about scrubs or any of the other animals I work with. Um, bear in mind, I've, I'm, I'm still new, I'm still new to the keeping game, uh, but I'll share as much info as I've learned or I've found out myself. Awesome. Very cool. Hey man, I appreciate uh, you coming on and 
chatting with us. No problem. And, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, and uh, good luck the rest of the next thirty days. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully, Go we see some, yeah, yeah, <laughs> baby, uh, baby scrubs pipping out of some eggs in thirty days. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. That's, that's 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 yeah. Just an, just just another month to wait. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you waited this long, so. Yeah, yeah but, well, uh, I've, I've got I've got this far. Might as well might as well see it through to the end. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so yeah, and welcome back anytime, man. So if you get uh, yeah, anything you. Uh, going on, uh, and you want to come on and chat with us, just shoot me a message and uh, we'll get you on. Yeah, so. I will. I will. Awesome. No problem, guys. Thank you. All yeah, right, we'll man. talk to you soon. Okay. All, All right. right. See you guys. Have a good one. You too. Cool deal. Uh, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that. There was a lot of uh, a lot of info, and uh, we're gonna have to have him come back on when he gets success with Timor Python, so I can beg for him to, you know, send uh-huh. them across the pond. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just saying, you know, you know lock T-Mors? that in there. Do you have Timor uh, again? I have the one. I have the girl. Oh, the one. You still have the, the girl. One. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's really pointless. So I would like more. <laughs> so I mean, there's another one, it, man. What a what a cool snake. Holy they shit. are, they are. And it's like, it, it's, they're really cool. They're, they, they, they look so different. And for me, it's the black in between their scales on their head that just does it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. A bunch um, of crap on my list of things that I need to buy. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like me and you as, as of late have been uh really, uh, I got to stop dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting ridiculous. yeah. See, yeah, like, and I have, I, I have a friend a long that, time ago, and it's just yeah, like yeah, finally just coming. getting there. Yeah, yeah. that's that. I, I have a friend that is winding down a collection, so oh. it it's not just snakes now. Which snakes was earlier this week. Now it's I have oh, to go, and there's snakes and racks and computer systems and all this other stuff. So I'm like, yo, it's great. I'm just gonna come over. And I'm just going to grab things and then we'll talk about money later. So it's going to get down to that. So I got to stop trying to buy snakes. No, it's not. No, it's not. The same bad thing I get into when I go over to your house where I'm like, exactly. No, it's bad. (laughs) Very cool. The next time uh, I come over to your house, I'm just knocking on the door, dropping the bread line that I'm going to drop over at your house for breeding season and then running. Okay, yeah. so like you're gonna open the door to see me sprinting to my car, because if I go back in your house, it's what I usually end up with. Like, oh well, I could do I could do mixes. It integrates. <laughs> no, yeah, they breed no in the wild. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah, it's fine. It's just a desert between them. It's totally good. Yeah, so you know. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, so next week we're talking uh, your favorite, Owen. It's going to be Short Tales. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, Wait, uh, I know I'm gone. Uh, I, I know I'm taking my vacation show uh, soon, but I'm pretty sure it's not. It's like, I'm pretty sure it's like somehow we scheduled it where I'm like here for the Short tail show, gone for like, I don't know, the Coastal Carpet Python show, and then back again yeah. for the IJ show or something stupid. So... <laughs> I don't know how we did this. <laughs> yeah, you got to send me your vacation in advance. Man, I didn't I know. <laughs> <laughs> Why uh, do I suck at this? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, 
Yeah, I definitely – I've been wanting to squeeze an IJ show in there for a while. We got – I got a couple more spots open up for the rest of the year. We actually just got uh, – I just secured the date with Paris. Um, uh, and uh, I think he's going to be on the 12th, so September 12th. Um, okay. Forrest Fanning is uh, – he, he breeds rodents. Um, it's kind of like his uh, – main business but um yeah. he, he really also is too. yeah he does condos uh is a big thing of his um he does uh abronia um and he works with crocodile morphs <laughs> so well i'm intrigued now what kind of crocodile morphs are we talking here uh i'll have to send you some pictures but they're pretty badass man yeah pretty cool would, um would you, would you ever be one of those people that would be like you know what i feel like doing starting alligator morph projects no like, <laughs> you know no maybe if i lived in florida florida a whole yeah. lot of land or something but no even then it's like uh, or even like the caimans like do you remember the size of those things that we saw at nerd yeah well my dad he he had one of them for a good part of my childhood. So <laughs> I mean, your your father wasn't really that much taller than you. So I mean, like a dwarf caiman is still as long as like one of you people. So it's like no, he had a he had a speckled caiman. So, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's, that's even that worse. Was a big, it? Yeah, it was big, man. I mean, it was a big size caiman. It had a kid pool for its uh, <laughs> for its you know like. Do you ever tub or whatever you want to call it? Do you ever look back at your dad's collection and go, "Dear God, <laughs> it's like you know." Oh my God, dude! <laughs> uh, so with, with what with what he kept, where and how he kept it, you know? No, it's crazy. Like the shit that he worked with was, I, I, he's got more balls than me, man. Because <laughs> I mean, he had. I've said a million times, but I mean, he did diamondbacks, sidewinders, gaboons. He had this Eastern diamondback. Its head had to be as big as my fist. You know what I mean? Like if he would have got nailed by that thing, holy shit. <laughs> but it was a different time back then. You know what I mean? They, they, yeah, it wasn't, true. It was, it was, it, there were never, no ever manufacturers. You had to build no. your own shit. Oh, yeah. No, he built everything. You know, it was like everything was built um, somehow rigged. I mean, <laughs> dude, uh, oh my god, he had like you don't know how cool it was as a kid to walk down the basement and have a rattlesnake or a cobra. No, I don't. Or a baboon, viper, my, my tree my viper. Father, my father in the basement kept football gear, or you know. <laughs> He, yeah. You know, it was or or an old ass television. There was no snake collection. The the most exotic creature we had when I grew up were red-eared sliders and guinea pigs. That was it. We had a dog too, but that was it. So, wow. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, he had. Uh, I think one of the things that I wish that he would have kept, or you know, whatever, is uh, Indian pythons. He had yes. actual pure. Pure Indian python. I was which... going to send you an ad this week. I saw someone was trying to sell an Indian cross with a Burmese. To which yes. I said, how do you tell that's what that is? 
Yeah, I don't know. Unless you're the one that actually bred it, you know. Yeah, or... Show me pictures of parents. Show me pictures of parents copulating. Then show me eggs. It's like otherwise you're trying to pass off an ugly berm as an Indian cross, in my opinion. So yeah. good luck. I would agree. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, that's that's where I get the passion today, man. <laughs> that's you unfortunate. Know. That was yeah. when you're talking about like how I'll just go to Indo and explore around scrubs. I'm thinking in my head, and Dory would not notice you were missing. Like you know, she's like, how long would it be until she was like, hey, maybe what a the few hell? days. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> somebody didn't do the wash. Eric's gone. Where'd he go? Why is the trash? <laughs> what the hell is happening? Yeah, that was. <laughs> Oh, and you've seen Eric, he's in Indonesia. What? Yeah, that would be a fun thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, yeah, cool stuff. So, yeah, that's the other cool thing about Forrest is that he's been over to Indonesia. So he's he's experienced that. And it will be interesting talking about that uh, with him and uh, Mm -hmm. getting a feel for that. So that's pretty cool. Next week, though, like I said, we got Nick from Cold-Blooded Earth talking short tales. The main, more importantly than I do want to talk to him about short tales, obviously, yeah. but I'm curious of his thoughts because he just went full time as a full time breeder. Yeah, um, so curious, that's not like, terrifying. So. Ooh. <laughs> that's a brave step, man. But, uh, I'm curious uh, how he's, you know, what made him do it, and you know, all that picking his brain about it. So, so yeah. there you go. <clears throat> um, I don't, dude. I don't think I could unless I was like. I, I assume my me going full time reptile breeding will be when I retire and I'm like the old crotchety guy at the reptile show instead of just the crotchety guy at the reptile <laughs> show. You know, and then I'll be able to, you know, do my snake breeding full time because I'll be retired. But right. doing it as a job, I don't think I could do it. I, I, I don't. See, you know, I think you would be there. more I think you would be more successful at it than me. One, you like to go to shows. That's number one. I do. Number two, well, I used to. <laughs> you're, you're, you're on this inside track when it comes to like, um, I don't know, like different species and stuff like that. Like, you know, just like you were just talking about ten minutes ago. Oh, I know this guy that's selling his collection, and you know what I mean. Yeah, so like, yeah. you're more into the that, uh, that the business through, side of it. That, that comes through networking and, and that's yeah. what a lot of people don't, don't get is why, why you, why every show is successful. Even if you don't sell anything, you're networking, you're talking, you're becoming friends with people. You're getting to know what other people have in their collections. You're getting yeah. to know what is coming down the pike. They so that you can plan your collection and your breedings based on that. And when you talk to enough people and you become friends with enough people, they will help you out. I would not have two baby IJs if Jason Balin didn't take pity on me and take <laughs> my female from me <laughs> and breathe to his mail. It's like that's pretty much how that goes. So you gotta. You, that's why it's always good coming out and doing all that crap. So and honestly, God, I met uh, I met Andrew at a reptile show where he was set up across from me, and he's really? been. He's now one. Of, yep, he's uh, asked him to watch my table. And then bought a pack of medium rats from him. And then the next show, after that one, I brought my girlfriend at the time. And I didn't realize that Andrew had been selling rodents to the zoo where she was working at. So, of course, she introduces me to him. And I'm like, I know this guy. And that was pretty much it from there. Again, we kept doing shows after show after show with him set up across or next to me. So that's pretty much how that happened. So Very cool. Exactly. You, you can 
build relationships with people, and you find out that these people who lived 20 minutes, 30 minutes away have extensive reptile collections. I worked two blocks away from your old house. <laughs> it's like that before, <laughs> before we met. I worked yeah. there. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's how it goes. And the only right. way you're going to know that is by making connections with people and going out and mark and networking. So that's where it goes. So cool. Yes. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's run down the list here. And uh, we aren't even at going. the original showtime date. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is kind of crazy, but, uh, <clears throat> Oh, did you see that idiot that got bit by the, the sidewinder? Yes! <laughs> so, I, listen, you know, I, I, I obviously a man was horribly uh, injured, and, uh, you know, I hate to make light of something as serious as a venomous bite, especially a sidewinder. Fuck but that. Are you freaking I kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you, know, you do that? But it's like, I, and there are dumbasses out there that think that they can freehandle venomous. You're not, wow, for a second, man. you don't give an animal that potent, that dangerous, the respect it deserves, is the, is the second it kills you. I mean, come on. I don't know, man. That's natural selection at play. Well, but, <laughs> yes, me. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. But it's like, you, you know, and I, never, and I never contemplated that. I never got that, which is probably why I would never do Venomous, because I never feel like I am prepared enough for them or I have the adequate things to uh, manage them because I would like demand completely hands off shift door setups where blah, 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 trap boxes everywhere, locking lids. Like basically unless you're uh, Scott uh, Eper, right? He's the one who's got the killer room in Australia, right? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, unless you're unless you have Scott's room, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's like that's, and he's been bitten more times than he can count. And it's no the freehanding a venomous is the dumbest thing you can do. The yeah. dumbest thing you can do, and I've seen numerous people do it. And especially a sidewinder. I mean, the snake is small. I yes. Mean, am I am I wrong in thinking that if you're dealing with something like I don't know, a mamba or something or a cobra. Yeah, very dangerous to handle, but I mean, it's a long snake. So, yeah. Oh, no, you know that makes I mean? it worse. But um well, mambas, mambas and cobras Wait. can do this funny thing where they can double back on themselves and then it's doom everywhere. Either way, it's bad, but yes. I, yes. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know what you're saying. It's a tiny snake, which means you're right freaking there. You're touching its tail, but its head is right there. It's like yeah. Yeah, there's not that much, you know, if you touch the tail of a mamba, you got like eight feet before its head. You touch the tail right. of a baby sidewinder, it's right there. So, I don't know. But, no. Yeah. I thought that was worth mentioning. <laughs> it, 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 it was. I I watched that video. I'm like, don't. Uh, no. I'm like, any minute. Any minute. I'm like, really? Oh, he's going to put it back. In. There it is. There it is. He got, <laughs> oh, you. Oh, you. I, that is so stupid. Yeah. I wonder so. if he's. St- if he like, I wonder what his situation is. is did he die? Well, is he? Oh, I don't think I don't think he'd die. Well, aren't sidewinders sidewinders are native, so there has to be any venom around someplace. But 
you and I both know the second you get bit by a venomous, you go to the hospital and then, you know, pull out the credit card bill. They pull out the credit cards because most of the time, most health insurances aren't going to cover this kind of crap because you did it to yourself um, or right. they're going to have a problem with it. But still, right. there's, those vials of any venom are like $10,000 each. And you yeah. may need more than one to live. And that's, dear God. And then also the other repercussions of it is they report it to state fish and game and then they come and take all your shit. Wow. Yeah. And then they'll find, and then they'll write up a report or they could write up a fine. Cause if you were living in a place where you weren't supposed to have it after you get out of the hospital, having survived maybe a couple vials of antivenom and having like a $30,000 uh, hospital bill. Now you're going to court for keeping venomous reptiles illegally. Wow, man. <laughs> it's just not worth it. Holy Ain't worth shit. It. it is not worth it. No, no thank you. <laughs> somebody, I can't remember who did it, but somebody wanted me to comment on it as the Viper Keeper. <laughs> <laughs> Record your voice. Do yeah, a play-by-play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this no! Guy, yeah, no, no. <laughs> this gentleman clearly is not... Following the venomous protocol. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, that, that's, what, that's what we have to do next, for for the next carpet fest. We need to just have a bunch of YouTube videos of like venomous people getting bit by venomous with you commentating and just play it on a TV <laughs> screen or something somewhere, and like have it all pre-recorded so it just plays on a loop and it's just hilarious. So yeah, there we go. Yeah, very we'll good. Ah. Speaking of Carpet Fest, Northwest Carpet Fest is Saturday, September 16th. So nice. it's it's up in uh, Seattle at uh, uh, Doug, yeah, Douglas fun. Taylor's place. So contact Amy or Doug, and uh, they'll be able to give you more info. Uh, I know they have uh, shirts for sale now, so check out yep. their North. It's NWCF, the new page, is where they got more info on it. So I want to what see what they're going to do. I want to see what they're going to do to Nick this year. <laughs> yeah. I always worry that uh, he won't make it through. <laughs> they're going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But uh, so, yeah, check that out and stay tuned for the Southeast Carpet Fest uh, is in the works. Uh, I think I said, what, February 10th, I think was the date. So stay tuned for more info on that. Uh, if you are interested in um, helping out, whatever, contact Ian Bissell. He's uh, coordinating S&J Reptiles, and he'll be able to give you more info. All right, did, for us. Did he, did he send you up? Did he send you that uh, breakdown thing he had going of what uh, he should kind of cover, what basis he should cover? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm reading that and I'm like, yeah, that would have been nice to know the first. Uh, like, you know, I'm reading it. I'm like that. I'm like that was first carpet fest. We screwed that up. That was second carpet fest. We messed hey, that man. part up. And so like, when you're uh, this is fourth carpet fest. I don't know why we screwed that one up. So yeah, it's like there's a lot there. When you're the so. originators, man, you you forge the road for everybody else. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, 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 that happened. I'm like, I remember even with mine, I'm like, I forgot the goddamn paper plates, which is why we keep having Carpet Fest Idiot. now sponsored by ShopRite. I know! <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, damn it's all, it's all good. Everything else. I don't, yeah. 
I don't think that anybody left going, God damn Owen forgot the paper plates. <laughs> well, they, they, they left saying God damn Owen, but for many other different reasons. So, yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Check it out for everything Morelia. You can stay tuned on our Facebook page, on the group. You can follow us on Twitter, Morelia Python. Uh, you can listen to the show on iTunes, Blog Talk, or whatever podcast app you use. Sounds like my dogs are killing something upstairs. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that or not, but I'm right. mine, is, to... mine is just sitting here staring at me. I don't know what he wants, but he is like <laughs> right in front of me, and it's uh, kind of weird. Pondering. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on. He may kill me, <laughs> so yeah. this might be Very it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Don't do that, Zero. Uh, yeah. I need him for a co-host. <laughs> you can wound him, but don't kill I, him. I just a slight <laughs> maiming. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you do. I, I've pretty much healed from my finger, so it's time to inflict more injuries. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, yeah, if you want to contact us with uh, questions, comments, suggestions, et cetera, feel free to send us a, a line, at email at uh, info at moreliapythonradio.com. Reptilinks. Uh, I have to uh, break these out, but um, <laughs> the new sense. Uh, some of the reviews are out there, and basically it says pure gold. I heard Nick um, was having success with them. So Yeah, so I'm going to read a couple off real quick. So, Go for uh, it. Because I really like supporting these guys. Nick uh, yeah. is a good guy. Reptilinks.com. Uh, customers have had a chance to review our fresh, our full scent product line, and these are some of the reviews that they gave. This is from Nick Mutton, Inland Reptiles. I've bred Antaresia species for 20 years. This stuff is pure gold. <laughs> um, Mike S. Magic had a, uh, I guess this is a king snake who refused pinkies and links, added a few drops of anole juice, and bam! This loot juice literally saved the snake. Um, there's a whole bunch of more reviews that you can check out over on reptilinks.com. Uh, I highly recommend the product. Uh, it's uh, it's really really a, a good product, and uh, especially for species like Antaresia or Dominican Red Mountain boas. If you choose to be a boa person instead, no, of a no, no, person, no, 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 they'll work no. like pure gold. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we don't we we don't breed those creatures here anymore. <laughs> Never. King snakes, whatever you choose. Uh, it's definitely worth uh, checking out. And they also have uh, Full Prey as well uh, that you can get. Uh, Nick is an awesome guy. Reptilinks.com. Check it out. Myself, E.B. Morelia. You can follow what I'm doing in a couple different ways. You can obviously check out my website, ebmorelia.com. Uh, you can check me out on Facebook, my Facebook page, E.B. Morelia, Instagram, Twitter, uh, all E.B. Morelia. Um, and, uh, if you have any questions or comments, please send them to Eric at EB Morelia. The only show I have coming up <laughs> is, uh, I will be at the NARBC in Tinley Park. Uh, so, uh, look forward to seeing everybody there and should have some cool stuff for sale. So go ahead, Owen. Uh, I do love how all of a sudden it looks like we're going to be taking half of, uh, the, uh, Condro show with us so um ah, yeah you know, yeah if, if our car drives off a cliff we only live we only leave uh bill steagle and that's it so you know yeah it's not good um anyway what i got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com we did just put up a bunch of new babies 
uh, Red ja Red Jags, Red Tiger Jags, a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, the next show I have is the October Tinley Park, uh, followed quickly the following weekend by the Hamburg Reptile Show in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. So we got two shows coming up in October. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and just type in Rogue Reptiles and look up Rogue Reptiles and give us a like. You'll see a bunch of the stuff that we have going on over there, as well as we'll make all our first announcements there. And then they'll be added to the websites like breeding as well as animals for sale. That's all I got, and that's all we have for you guys tonight. We're going to quickly get out of here before our actual airtime, so I fully expect a lot of people will be messaging in the next few minutes wondering where the hell we are and why we're not doing the show to be pleasantly surprised by our pre-recorded show. So we're sorry, but we'll be <laughs> back. We'll be back next week at the same normal time, and we'll have some more Morelia Python radio for everybody. So we'll catch you then. Good night.